This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome. Man, it's another day. It's Friday. Pouring rain here in the Rocky Mountains. It's wet. It's cold. Skidding all over the place. Are they saving on heat here in the building? Apparently. Is it a cost-saving measure? Yeah, they, they turned off. It's really cold out there. It's cold. It's either that or the massive panes of windows throughout the... I guess that would be yeah. the newsroom. Is that what that's yeah, referred to Yeah, we call that the newsroom. Okay. Uh, I don't have a window in my room. I have a window to the hallway. But yours is a fridge anyways. Yeah, I always wear coats. Today I'm wearing... Just leave the drinks on the, on the <laughs> desktop. It'll chill nicely. I'm wearing that little sleeper onesie thing that you, you know. The Snuggie? The Snuggie. You, you That's and, what your son has. You and somebody else, I can't remember. It was just a few days ago on the air we're trying to figure out the word Snuggie. I can never remember the word Snuggie. When you, you wear ev- them as much as I do, you should remember. You had word. every other word you possibly could imagine except Snuggly. Snuggie, the actual name of the product. Yeah. But we're not, they're not a sponsor. No, so it's fine. So. And it turned out that they, I guess, were sued recently for overstating their products. Oh, I, I heard Snuggies cured cancer. Well, yeah. No? No, it was more of a pricing scheme. They oh, had. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Because I've had a lot of friends wearing it to get rid of their acne and their... Hair growth. Hair that, growth. That's why right. I got it. Yep. Is that... <laughs> yep, I have a Snuggie. I have a few. Snuggie helps you grow hair. No, it doesn't. No. Um, it makes you look ridiculous. It does make you look ridiculous. <laughs> Unless you get, of course, the leopard print. I'm I'm more... I, I guess I like the camouflage. Yeah, the, I was going to say camo. The, the camo yeah. snuggy. Mm-hmm. I don't like camo. I can never find my kids well, when they're wearing camo. There's that. <laughs> it's like, get over here. Don't hide in the natural shrubbery. I think I just saw a family snuggy. Really? Where the entire family can get in one snuggy. That's completely out of line. It's like, why? Yeah. What, you guys, what, someone, when someone needs to go to the bathroom, what do you do? Aggressively awkward. That's a great line. The family snuggy. Aggressively. Just awkward. add aggressively to words and just adds a whole new aspect. Aggressively peaceful. There you go. Yeah, it's weird. Aggressively optimistic. That's what we'll be talking about today. Yeah. Are you an aggressive optimist? No. You are not. In no way. But it's really interesting. So does optimism actually help you? We'll find out. Yeah. There's times it really does and there's times it doesn't. Sometimes you need accuracy. Not optimism. I think optimism helps the individual, but I don't think it helps like a group of people. Well, like, see, but here's the, like if I need to motivate you to do something, yeah. you're probably going to want to go with optimism. I tend to find optimism in people yeah. kind of annoying. Yeah, well, it's because you're you're aggressively pessimistic. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if pessimistic's really the word. No, aggressively pessimistic is the word, or Those just aggressive. Words. I guess. Or might just be aggressive. Might be that. The um. <laughs> So there's a perfect time to use optimism, and the research shows maybe you might be overusing it. We'll be talking to Dr. Elizabeth Tenney today from the University of Utah. She'll fill us in on some of her latest research. Sad day, uh, B- blues legend B.B. Kings died at the age of 89. 89 years old. He was in a hospice, I believe, in Las Vegas. That, His by the way, had to be the coolest hospice in the world. Really? Slot machines around every corner? I don't know what it is. I mean, like, he's just iconic. He's the man. Yeah. And when you lose a guy like that, you know. We've lost a little bit of uh, maybe hope. 
He's a good guy. Talk about uh, that uh, hope. Tragic uh, findings, I guess, about the helicopter. Did you find they, anything? They out lost the helicopter in Nepal. The United States uh, military was flying relief missions, and the helicopter disappeared. There was no radio traffic. There was no indication of where it went, and they found it uh, in the last 12, 24 hours. They found a wreckage. They're sending people in to investigate. Uh, They don't expect to uh, find anything positive. Darn it. By the way, rescue mission. I mean, they were just helping the earthquake survivors, right? Yeah, but it it just shows how treacherous the the mission is, the area trying to uh, fly relief supplies into these really – isolated uh, villages and stuff that's probably to this day still haven't got relief supplies or any sort of help. Hmm. So they're trying to help out and an accident happened. So we'll find out more soon. Also, uh, the train wreckage for the Amtrak yes. uh, crash in uh, Philadelphia. An eighth body pulled yesterday. They've now accounted for everybody that was on the uh, the train, which was 238. They also have passengers. all the names. Did you read those bios on those? I mean, it's just a I lot of a executives, of a yep. lot of... Just kind of, it was a, a wide variety of people, which just kind of shows yeah. the population, obviously. So um, so they're going to focus on the, looks like they're focusing on the engineer, yeah. Brandon Boston. His uh, lawyer says he absolutely has no recollection of the incident. Now, his the, the train <laughs> engine, I thought it was it was still on the tracks, everything was fine, but it apparently flipped. Multiple times itself. The train engine flipped. He had a, he has a, a fourteen stitches in his head. Yeah. So he he hit his head pretty hard. There was a concussion involved, and so they're saying he doesn't have any recollection of what happened. Did he lose consciousness? He will be talking to NTSB investigators, and uh, there is a subpoena for his phone records to see if he what his phone was. He's been doing, doing the job five time. years, and but he's also they just say the kid grew up loving trains. It was all about trains. His whole life was about trains. All of his friends are saying, you know, he's very conscientious. He's a doesn't you know not a doesn't do drugs. Doesn't. They, they so are it's saying, really weird. They are saying that the uh, the train sped up right before yeah. it went into the From 70 the to 100 miles an hour right about there. And then right before it wrecked, the brake was pulled. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah. he so he he knew it must have gotten away. I mean, if Maybe. you pull a brake. We'll see. Unless he fell on the brake when he was asleep or whatever. Yeah. But Any number of things could Interesting. Happen. But again, how much are you going to know? They still don't have a lot of uh, technology, right? They don't have a black box per se. No, there is. There's a record of all everything Do that happens on the train. Do they have a video camera? I mean, it there is like... a security video in the area yeah, that shows- Yeah, but not on the train? No. It's crazy. I well, unless, know my unless, it hasn't been, yeah, unless it hasn't been released yet. Never trust an engineer when they're alone. So we'll, we'll get more detail as that goes forward. A House committee charged with funding Amtrak shot down a Democratic amendment to increase funding for rail transportation Wednesday morning just after the train wreck. So this is going to – look how political The proposal cuts $260 million from last year's level, allocating a total of $1.1 billion for Amtrak. Well, and here's the deal, my issue with the whole argument, because all of the all the politicians are saying, yeah, if we had more funding, this would have been funded and they would have had the brake systems that would have automatically stopped the train and everything. Uh, Maybe. But assuming we assuming that Amtrak spends their money well anyway, and assuming they allocate the money that is spent and given properly. And I'm going to bet most major government agencies aren't. So we just keep throwing more money? I don't yeah. know. Who knows? It's Oversight. a difficult situation. We need to privatize all of it. Huh? Privatize it all. And in other countries, 
where they yeah. have trains that run at like 300 miles an hour. Yeah. They're run by the government. Yeah. And they're safe, or it seems to be. Weird. Depends. Uh, President Obama holding high-level summit at Camp David with the Persian Gulf Arab or several Persian Gulf Arab countries. They pledged an ironclad commitment Thursday to help protect their security, pointedly mentioning the potential use of military force and offering assurances that a potential deal with Iran would not leave them more vulnerable. Ironclad. Many of those countries, if you read quotes from their leaders, don't quite believe that. Well, again, most they, of they those countries... They think they're being left exposed to anything Iran wants to do. And they want to develop their own uh, weapons programs to counteract what Iran may be doing. Yeah. So if Iran does this, then now the Saudis may want a weapon. Everyone's going to weapon Everyone gets up. the bomb. Weapon up! That's how it works. Uh, let's see. George Stephanopoulos from uh, ABC yes. News. He's doing a little dancing he, right now. He gave uh, $25,000 in 2012, 2013, and 2014, so $75,000 yeah. to the Clintons. He uh, That wasn't fully disclosed. No. First he said like 50. No, it meant 75. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't fully disclosed, and now he's uh, taken himself off of, probably with the urging of his bosses, any uh, – Debates that will be held for the Republican side of the presidential circus coming up. He will not be moderating any of those yeah. debates. I mean, that's a whole other level. When you're a politician, when you're a, in the press, you got to play a different game. Right. And and but he I, was a politico. He I was, was reading a, this morning that the Republican National Committee isn't really happy with him being involved in any of this because yeah. of his past employment yeah. with the Clintons and being on their oh, yeah. team. He was being one of their strategist. top dudes. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he becomes a the journalist. Now he's the uh, the lead journalist really yeah. for ABC News. And so he'd represent the network if they do anything officially this way. And they don't like having him involved in anything because they think he's biased. Yeah. So. Um, and, and probably some of the most important news, if you look what? at what people are talking about, uh, Tom Brady oh. he has appealed. They have their rebuttal. His NFL suspension. Yes. And uh, late, or yesterday, the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, agreed to personally appeal, hear the appeal. Yeah. He doesn't have to, but he will sit in and listen to the appeal. It was a 20,000-word document that they sent. Yes. With, like, the guy, that, the guy that supposedly is the deflator. You know why they call him the deflator? Because he's losing weight. It says here because he was trying to lose weight, so they called him the deflator. Like, yeah. Right. That's that's totally that, that same guy that took he took the balls into the bathroom. What I can't go to the bathroom. Right. I had to go. We were I had to go. Out the field I, mean, I was carrying these... the game balls. Yeah. What? So I, you know, I had chapstick in my pocket. Also, and attached to that, uh, NFLshop.com. Yes. You can find some uh, products. They now reject anyone who tries to use a custom order. To get on a Patriots jersey, people have been trying to get the word deflator put across <laughs> there instead of the team name or a name uh, of a player. Yeah, not you can't that. get the word deflator on a jersey. Mm. They just they drew the line. You can't do that. How about D-E-F-L and the number eight? Probably all different versions of deflator. Because uh, I put in four orders and I haven't gotten my jersey yet. <laughs> Darn it. Interesting news. Interesting news. Well, folks uh, – are you an optimist or a pessimist? Does it matter? You know, it seems like so much of the time people are like, oh, you got to be an optimist. You know, we, we need more positivity in this world. Well, we do. Except what if I told you, according to research, optimism may not be the best way to, uh, to be successful in work and in life. Maybe there's sometimes 
where we want accuracy more than optimism. We'll come back. Dr. Elizabeth Tenney will be joining us from the David Eccles School of Business at the University of Utah. She's done a study and written a paper about optimism, and uh, we're going to find out the ins and the outs about looking up in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. There's the song from Lego. It's a Legos movie, right? Which my uh, great producer, Terry South, uh, who is a pessimist by nature, um, he gets to hear that every day with his son, who loves the show. And this song drives him crazy because it has a hint of optimism. (laughs) We're talking uh, with Dr. Elizabeth Tenney. She is a, a professor of management at the David Eccles School of Business, where, and she co-wrote a paper called Too Optimistic About Optimism, The Belief That Optimism Improves Performance. She's here today to teach us about her research and uh, fill us in on maybe the fact that uh, being too optimistic in every situation, it may not be uh, so good for you. Uh, Dr. Tenney, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, thanks for having me. Good to have you here. And and it's really interesting research, right? Because everybody seems to believe that, you know, be optimistic, it's the key to life. Yeah, I mean, we really we really see that a lot of places, right? If somebody is really optimistic, we see, oh, this person's so optimistic, and then they, they end up doing well. Um, is it, but we don't really know, is it because their optimism made them do better, or um, were they just, you know, actually going to do better no matter what, and, and their inherent skills or abilities were making them optimistic and perform better? So you're really trying to track down what is the real impact of optimism and, and its impact on performance. Uh, talk about your study. How, how did you go about doing it? What, and, and why did you even get into optimism as an area of study in a business school? Well, it's so, I mean, it's so interesting, right? Because so say you're, you're going to try to motivate your employees to be more productive. Do you want to pour resources into, you know, making them optimistic or do you want to pour resources into skill development? And you've got a lot of options in front of hmm, you. Right. Um, so you got to know where to put the money. And I mean, it, we always kind of joke about the rah-rah optimistic speaker that whatever comes in gets us all, you know, looking to a better future. But does that really, you know, amount to change in performance? So you did your study. What? Uh, how, how did you do your study, and, and what did you find? Well, there were sort of two parts to it. First, we wanted to track, you know, do people think that optimism is so great in every situation? And then we wanted to put that belief to the test. Hmm. What did you find? So for the fir- what did we find? Well, yeah. we found that, that people... Um, they they like optimism, especially in situations where you're trying to motivate somebody to perform. Um, but if somebody is having to like has to make a decision, like oh I, I have to decide, do I want to do this or or that? I'm not sure. Well, for that person who's making a decision, people think oh actually accuracy or realism is going to be really beneficial for that decision maker in this deliberation phase. So people are sensitive that, you know, rah-rah optimism isn't necessarily always beneficial. Um, So that's the labeling. But they do think that it could help uh, motivate people to perform. 
So, so that's interesting. So we use optimism and, and, it, and it has value in different ways. Optimism, if we're trying to motivate people, being optimistic is, is usually a better motivator. But if we're actually trying to make a decision, you may not want to make the decision just optimistically. You may want to actually get accurate data to make the decision. Well, that's okay. So that exactly right there encapsulates what most of all the people in our studies believed would happen. Oh, wow. So that's what we wanted to test. Okay. Even, even in this motivation performance situation, does optimism live up to those high expectations that we have for it? Hmm. Well, and so we had... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, we had our participants, um, we, we sort of thought of a few different tasks that we could give them to do, and then we wanted to kind of harness this optimism and give it to, you know, randomly assign it to, to groups of people to see if, you know, boosting someone's optimism would actually help them perform. So one task we used was a math test. And we had um, some people we were, did a practice test, and we said, oh, we think you're going to do really well on this practice test, or on the real test, based on your practice test performance. And for others, we said, you know, didn't give them that optimistic boost. We thought, oh, maybe you might not do so well on this upcoming test. And, so, and you were trying to psych them up, get them optimistic. You're going to nail it. You'll be so great. And then on the others, you didn't give them the pump up. What was right. what were the results? Were the optimistic people, the people that were pumped up a little bit more, did they perform differently or the same? They did not perform differently that we could really see, not reliably. Um, there was, yeah, they, they just basically did the same as the people who weren't so optimistic Interesting. Is it is it more that so maybe it doesn't relate or you know um, come out as a performance measure? Is it just they feel happier as they're going into a test? Going into it, yes. They, I mean, we didn't look at happiness per se. We looked at you know how well do you think you're going to do on this test? Yeah. And there was a reward for doing well. So I assume that they were you know they were feeling good yeah. uh, about the test going in. But even when you think about it, you're sitting there, you're looking at the math problem. Everything else kind of melts away. That's when your training really kicks in and, you know, you, you know how to do things and you work through it or, or you don't know how to do it and, and, and not. And often we don't have, um, you know, right there in the moment how we were feeling a few minutes ago isn't really going to matter. Hmm. It's, it's really interesting, too, because it's, it seems like forever we've, we've been teaching, oh, yeah, this is the key. The key is... Having and especially when we talk about engagement and employee engagement, we you would always you know tend to believe that being optimistic and with your employees would create a more engaged employee. But I mean, maybe they're more engaged, but that the engagement doesn't always equate to performance. I guess. Well, right. So we were using, and I want to you know do the good science thing and make sure I don't overextend past what our specific results in this right. study showed. Um, so we were really looking at these cognitive tasks, like a math test, um, and we did a visual search task that I should tell you about in a minute, too. Um, and in, in these cases, it didn't really matter. But if it was a social situation, you know, we didn't really test that. Yeah. So um, I don't want to overextend too much. You know, maybe it's still, it's still good to have happy employees for a whole host of other reasons. Sure, sure. Just once so, they're sitting down to do a task, you know, it's not going to make that much difference right, right then and there. Talk about the other the uh, the visual test and task. What? How did that go? So, so you and maybe a lot of your listeners might remember from from childhood or even even current day, people still love these books called Where Is Waldo. Yeah. 
where you've got this character, Waldo, who's hidden in this busy scene, and your task is to try to find Waldo among all these other characters and see in buildings and everything. And, and, so, and, and, and did you do a little psych up on those as well? Like get them all yeah, optimistic? We, we gave people like a practice test and we asked them things about themselves and we were like, okay, well, based on everything we know about you, we think you're going to do really great, got really high Waldo finding ability and we think you're going to definitely be able to find him. <laughs> and other people, I mean, unfortunately, uh, we, we, told, we told them, oh, we don't think you're so good at finding Waldo. <laughs> You're not going to be able to find Waldo. Yeah. That's great. And we gave them 12 different chances, 12 different Waldo puzzles. <laughs> and um, we again, I want to emphasize that we didn't find any difference in terms of performance. You know, there was like a tiny difference where the optimistic people did slightly better, but it wasn't really yeah. that much. Right. Um, but the optimistic people <clears throat> did look a little bit longer. Oh, interesting. So, so I mean, it, it, yeah, it might give it might give it might have given them a little more, you know, stick to itiveness. Yeah, like a little bit, a little bit of persistence. And hmm. um, we were seeing a little bit of persistence, and that could be really beneficial on a broader scale. Yeah, um, I mean, so you you guys aren't just trying to be all negative. You're giving us the real data <laughs> of. The, I mean, this is important to know because it's it's kind of like we think. You know, there's one principle in life, and that's be optimistic. But that may not always be the case. You know, if you're trying to do something maybe you shouldn't do, like bungee cord jump, and it's with some guy that's never, you know, put together a bungee cord jump, you might not just want to be optimistic. You might want to make a realistic assessment. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Is this this cord going to hold me? (laughs) Yeah. It's really interesting research. Again, we're talking with Dr. Elizabeth Tenney. From She's an assistant professor of management at the David Eccles School of Business at the University of Utah. We're going to take a break, come back, and continue. I want to find out more just about her findings and see what we could be, how we could be using this in our everyday life. Elizabeth has a great example of just jumping you know, across a, a chasm and, uh, and, and how optimism may not be the best solution for us. We'll take a break. More with Dr. Elizabeth Tenney. And optimism after this break. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Even Bob Marley gets it. Everything's going to be all right. Come on. Optimism. Is it all it's cracked up to? You know what? It's If you think it's just this, you know, one idea that is a one-size-fits-all to every solution in life, this research we're talking about today may blow your mind. Um, some of the research done by Dr. Elizabeth Tenney at the David Eccles School of Business at the University of Utah, she's teaching us that, you know, optimism, according to her latest research, it's a great, you know, it's an idea, but it may not necessarily always correlate to performance and better performance. Being optimistic may not correlate to better performance. Dr. Tenney, is that is that basically what your studies found? Yes, it's that um, 
you know, we think that optimism is going to be really beneficial for performance, but it doesn't always live up to our expectations. Just simply making somebody optimistic in the moment won't necessarily make them all of a sudden great at math or great at programming. Right. Talk about your, your – you have a great metaphor I've heard you use about um, a chasm and optimism versus accuracy. Yeah, so say, say you're going to picture somebody – who is contemplating whether they can make it over this big crevasse. Mm -hmm. And you want to know, um, you know, should this person, should this person jump or should this person jump? You know, that's what the person is deciding. In that particular case, you can really imagine, you know, do you really want that person to be optimistic about her chances of making it over? (laughs) Yeah. Or do you want this person to make a realistic assessment of the risks before jumping in? Well, I am a good jumper, Elizabeth. Well, right. So, but I think what I think is so helpful about this example is that you know when you picture this person deciding should I should shouldn't I, then you can really see. Well, actually, I don't know that I would prescribe optimism for that person. I would definitely prescribe a realistic mindset. Yeah, um, and some metrics, like yeah, how many feet can I jump? What's my running yeah. jump distance? How far is the chasm? Just get some yeah, realistic yeah. data. Am I tied to some partner that is going to also, <laughs> yeah, you know, fall down if, if I if I miss, so or have to rescue me? Um, so right, so there's a lot of so I think this example is helpful, right? Because you don't always want optimism for everybody. But suppose that person has decided, you know, look, there's there's no way around it. I have to jump over. Um, here I go. I'm about to go. Yeah. You want to then say to that person, well, I'll make a realistic assessment. Are you going to make it? You know, or you know, if there's no turning back. Yeah, we, we might think that that person should be optimistic and we should, uh, you know, make sure that you're in the right mindset to really go for it. Right. I mean, and, that, and I, to me, that it, it, just in that kind of scenario, it makes so much sense. But is it just that we're very simple minded? So we just kind of throw the one answer out there. You found in your research that there there are reasons where optim or, or areas where optimism helps, like increasing motivation of others. It might be better to be more optimistic or trying to convince someone else to your side. It also might serve, I guess. Yeah, given that we know that people think optimism is so useful for performance, then it seems to follow that if you were trying to persuade somebody, you know, look, here I am in a crevasse jumping situation. I'm going over. Um, You should definitely help, help me out or donate to my cause. Believe in me because, you know, I'm optimistic that I can make it. Whereas this other person, well, they're not so sure. Yeah. You don't want to fund them. You want to fund my crazy idea because we have to go forward. It's really – I was – last night I was watching the Shark Tank and uh-huh. I thought if if somebody went in there with with – you know, if they had accurate data, that's important. So they've got to have the data. But you also have to have some – a sense of optimism about your abilities and be able to sell that idea because if you're just like, yeah, I mean I've tried a lot and so I just need you guys and I've tried – I don't know. If they're if they're really not optimistic, that's not going to be a good sell. Well, and look, you know what we see often, again and again, in our daily lives, is that people who tend to be optimistic do tend to succeed. They have good relationships. Some research says they even live longer. You know, so there is there is a correlation between optimism and good life outcomes. We just don't know if it's the optimism per se that's hmm. driving those good outcomes versus you know. Like I, I know I'm gonna, I'm very, I know I'm very healthy, so I'm optimistic. 
that about my health. Yeah. And I live longer. Now you can see, we don't know if it's the optimism or something else that's, right. that's driving both. Or And or just the persistence that an optimistic person has because they just kind of keep going. They just are sure, yeah. you know, eventually it's going to hit. Eventually. But, yeah, it, but too, I guess it also demands that we, we do focus on information because if you don't, I mean, you can be as optimistic as you want, but if the data is not aligning, then you need to you need to be able to see the data too. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. So, where do you take this? Where do you go next with your research, Liz? Well, I think what we want to do is, um, you know, we don't want to take away people's optimism and say it's never useful. <laughs> right. Um, it's, it's, we want to make sure, you know, when we found this hint that it's useful for persistence. So we might try to um, put put our participants or volunteers to be part of our studies, um, see if, if we put them in situations where, you know, they have to interact with other people or they have to really persist, um, is optimism in that particular case going to really shine through and help them? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's fascinating. And, and I see it a lot even in my own just business, my own life. There's a lot of times I've, I'm a I'm a big optimist, and yet, um, man, there's so there's so much power in you know having the data to corroborate and to support all of this positivity. Well, we appreciate you, Doctor Liz. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I think you're right. That the absolute best situation is to be you know really positive that something good is going to happen, and then be right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Measure. Measure. Yeah. Measure twice. Cut once. And then be happy all the time. It's um, it's a good little scenario there. Dr. Elizabeth Tenney, we appreciate you. Professor of Management at the David Eccles School of Business. Interesting research there on optimism. And, and we all need it. We're going to take a break, come back, get into the coach's corner. I'm going to show you about uh, what I call positive interpretations and, and making healthier interpretations, especially in your relationships and the people around you. It's 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 basically it's exactly what we're talking about. Be optimistic, but also sometimes be realistic. And when the, when you're dealing with people that you care about, you can give them the benefit of the doubt without being taken advantage of. We'll show you how to do that up next on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about optimism today and uh, just had an interview where we, we learned, you know, it's it's great to be optimistic. And in many situations in our lives, we also need to be realistic, right? I mean, think about it. Think about getting married. And when we're all married, as I look at James right here, a lot of us go into a marriage with uh, much more optimism than realism. We don't quite know what we're really getting into. And by the way, that's true with everything. Think about when you go to college, when you get your first job, whatever. So I think it's a natural human tendency to be an optimistic person, right? You want to take advantage of life's opportunities. If you're too pessimistic, you you might end up turning these opportunities away, not taking advantage of certain opportunities. And in fact, many of us uh, if you are a pessimist, for example, what you're usually playing against is so that you don't be taken advantage of. You're pessimistic in a way to make sure that you don't overstretch and be taken advantage of. 
So there are there are incredible upsides to being optimistic. And yet we don't um, you know, we 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 have to be somewhat realistic. Many times when couples come talk to me I, about their marriages and their relationships or business partners, we, we always tend to believe the ideal. But there's there's real information. There's real data out there that we could gather if we would just open our eyes. And so if you notice, uh, I keep bringing up with Elizabeth Tenney, Dr. Tenney, I kept bringing up the idea of data and information. As humans, we, we tend to look for the data that we want. We want the data that supports our ideas, our beliefs, our goals, our feelings. And that's that couldn't be more true than in our relationships. If I want to feel love and close to somebody, I'm going to overlook certain pieces of information. I may overlook the fact that you know, my spouse was really clingy and had a, a really like incredibly aggressively strong attachment to her parents, let's say. So, oh, yeah, it's just cute. She's just so loyal to her parents and she quotes her parents every five minutes and she can't make a decision without her parents. Isn't that cute? But it'll all go away when we get married. Optimism. The reality, though, is it doesn't go away. And so a lot of times when we're trying to fix or help or improve or break habits in our relationships, one of the best ways to do it is to maybe um, not not just immediately negatively interpret what they're doing, which is what happens after I've been hurt long enough by one person. I no longer am even optimistic about them. I'm not positive about them. I actually take everything they do and I turn it negative and I become what's called a negative interpreter. But maybe instead of going optimistic and positive or negative, why don't we just gather more data? Just gather the information. The benefit of having more information, which is why I think it's so important that we learn to communicate with our partners, is because we have to at some point have uh, more understanding, more information, more opportunities um, to gather the data that we need to make the decision. If we would just start making a pro-con list with our life and our decision-making, what are the pros? What are the cons? I do it not – you'll notice though, if you really want something, I really want to buy a car. What are the pros and the cons? If you really want the car, your pro list is going to be big. But I would still go through the exercise of writing down what are the cons to buying the car. And I wouldn't do it necessarily to even make the decision. I would do it to improve and increase the understanding and the information. Will I regret the decision in a few months or or years? Will it take more money out of my pocket instead of just driving the car I currently have? In our relationships, we need to have the same discipline. I'm not saying you shouldn't be positive. Again, I'm a very optimistic person, but I've seen that my optimism does end up failing me. Where my, if I could have just been a little bit more realistic, I could keep my optimism but use it and use it to help strengthen the solutions I need to actually fix the problems I I have. With my partner, in my relationships, in my life, optimism's good. You also have to have the real data if you want real results. Another interesting thing about the study is do you do results matter to you? Because so many times they just don't, and you'll see that in your relationships. The results of whether uh, whose fault it is about what's going on, what's negative. It may not actually matter because 
we're not always into results in a, as a couple. We say we are, we act like we are, but if I have a couple that comes in and spends, you know, an hour, like yesterday or two days ago, I've had many couples come in and I'm sitting there thinking, they've told me this same story 14 times and they've had the same fight 500 times. How could you have the same fight about the same issue 500 times? That's crazy. Well, because the outcome isn't the, what they're trying to change. They want to keep the stories the exact same. And as long as those stories stay the same, then guess what? Nothing's going to change. So if you want to be able to have the outcome work, you're going to have to pay attention to how you're, you're, you're going about the, the issue. If you want a marriage to be effective and healthy, don't just be optimistic. Be realistic about it. Optimism might make you stay stuck in a pattern that you never change because you keep hoping your husband's going to get a job this week, even though he hasn't for the last four and a half years. But this week's going to be different. And your husband may be optimistic that he's going to – he's because he's put his, his stuff out on monster.com. He's got his resume out there. And he's optimistic that today he's really going to get the job today. Four and a half years he's been doing this. There's a point where optimism shouldn't be there anymore. Now, by the way, you also don't need to immediately jump into a pessimist. Just turn into a realist. And one of the great ways to do that is maybe believe less in the words and more in the outcomes. Start looking for results. Talk about the results. See if we can't sit down and figure out what else we need to maybe be trying that would be different. What have we tried that didn't work? And just start breaking these ideas down. And again, it's not um, – it's really hard because we kind of – as in our minds, we, we're just so um, – we dichotomize everything. We make it either or. So either optimism's great or it's not. And either it's better to be a realist or it's not. But the reality is life is never just that cut and dried. There are situations where you need to be optimistic. If you have a cancer diagnosis, I'd go with some optimism. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to have a clue what to do. So then you got to get a little realistic. And if it's kind of a stage one cancer versus a stage three cancer, you might want to bring in more realism, right? Or if it's a stage three versus a stage one. You need some realistic understanding. How aggressive do I need to go after this? Oh, it, you know, it's just a it's just a mole that's a little odd-shaped and colored. It's, you know, it'll go away. No, be realistic. You know about this. Does your, your dad had cancer, skin cancer? Your grandpa had skin cancer? Your brothers have had skin cancer? Maybe it's skin cancer. Be realistic. Well, but you know, I'm a good person. I try hard. I'm – no. Has the mole changed in the last month or two or three? Yeah. Be realistic. It's data, folks. I, one of the great things I teach, it's one of my favorite lessons in my coaching program is – Data has four basic rules, okay? All data is neutral. Data is just neutral. It's not positive or negative. So if all of a sudden we, we hear about the Amtrak accident in, in, in the, the train in Philadelphia, the crash 
All the data around the crash is neutral. It's not positive or negative. It's just neutral. Now, the minute you start to feel like it's negative, it's no longer data. It's now something you're turning into an interpretation. When something happens to us, there's just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. And the facts are going to just be neutral. On 9-11, when the buildings collapsed, those were the facts. When planes crashed into the building, those were the facts. Not positive, not negative, just inherently, until you interpret them. The minute you start to interpret them, you turn them positive or negative. And every one of us, we do that all the time. A hundred times a day, we get, we get neutral facts, and then we turn them positive or negative or neutral. We keep them neutral, right? So if somebody drops by and brings you a drink at work, a soda from your favorite place or whatever. Is that positive, negative, or neutral? Well, that's positive, right? What if it's from the biggest prankster, jokester in the entire office? Hmm. Notice, same data. He just brought you a drink. But there's other facts. This is the guy. Yeah, this is the guy that put all that salt on your hamburger when you went out to lunch. This is the guy that did all these other things. Mm, do I trust this? So now is them, the fact they brought you a drink, is that positive, negative, or neutral? The minute you're interpreting it, it, you've changed it from data to something else. So here are the rules. All data is neutral. Rule number one. Rule number two, no one possesses all of the data. So to be optimistic when you don't possess all of the data, might be setting you up for something. Now, it doesn't mean you can't use your optimism to go get more data. I would. That's what I'd use it for. If you're naturally an optimistic person, excellent. Then remember that everything's neutral and go get more data. Nobody possesses all the data. The next rule is, but when we don't possess the data, um, we act as if we do. One of the great little human tricks that every one of us, we do it with everybody in our lives. When we don't have the data, we still have confidence even though we don't have a clue. Have you ever made a major mistake in your life and you thought for sure, you know, you could do it? Have you ever thought for sure, okay, I mean, it's I can get through this. I could do this. And you don't. I could drive. I could, I could make it in this parking place. I can get my car in there. Well, you did, but you can't get out of your car because the doors are too close to the next car. How could you be so confident you could do something and be wrong? Because you still don't have all the data. So all data is neutral. None of us possesses all of the data, but we all act as if we do. You got to watch out for that because humans are designed to self-protect and self-preserve. Your body and your brain does not want you questioning if you should run in the middle of a threatening situation. It's just going to get you running. And so what it does is it creates a ton of chemistry to make you feel confident to do it, even if you're wrong. Right? Now, think about the problems that creates in our relationships. How many times have you had an argument with your spouse and you felt totally confident that they were messed up and you didn't have all the facts? That's where we start to have issues. All data is neutral. No one possesses all of the data. And when we, even when we don't possess the data, we act as if we're confident in it. And the fourth rule is very simple. We tend to make up the data to suit our needs. So if you are an optimist and you're, you're listening to one of the biggest optimists there, there is on earth, I'm very optimistic. And 
we will make up a life that makes it seem like we should be optimistic, which can be very healthy unless we're going against principle or real data. (laughs) Then you're going to get chopped off at the knees. So think about your life. If you're upset with your spouse because they're not treating you right and and they're, you know, they don't seem to care in the relationship, then you are going to start looking for data that will validate that they don't care. So you're saying I shouldn't be optimistic about our relationship? No, sure, be optimistic and notice the word and take in all the data. When couples come in and Tell me, well, so I talked to my husband about divorcing, and what did he say? You know, he's got a big smile on his face, and he started immediately pulling out files and started working toward the divorce. And that makes me so sad. And I'm like, well, what's it communicating? Well, that I guess that he's okay with it. Yeah. Now, by the way, that data is not necessarily positive or negative or neutral. It's just showing you where he is. Well, this is maybe why he never comes home at night. This is maybe why he keeps spending money that you and losing money that you don't even know where the money's going. So all these other problems you've been having, it might be coming because this is new data that we've needed to know. Does that make sense? So in the end, think about you. I, again, love the idea that we use our energy to be optimistic. We use our energy to help lift people. We, we use our energy to help motivate people. We use our energy to to you know be to go get stuff done that needs to get done, and it's the operative word. And we always have to have the data, as much data as we can humanly have. Have the data because once you have the data, guess what? Then you can turn your optimism onto that data. Then you can actually fix the real issue. Instead of staying ignorant in la la land without the data. And be naively optimistic. Really what we're trying to be is informed and optimistic. Productive and optimistic. Not just naively optimistic. It's powerful. It's a powerful tool, folks, especially when you are in a really heated issue or situation with somebody. Just get more information and still be optimistic. You're smart. You got what it takes. You can make it happen. That's it, folks. Hour number one. Coach's Corner. Meme it. Put that on a meme. Send it out to your friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show talking about uh, optimism. We're going to take a break and then come back. More headlines get into the second hour of the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Hello, friends. Top of the morning to you. Welcome to hour number two of The Matt Townsend Show. We've taken care of optimism. Now, uh, this hour, we're going to be talking about. Your kids, how to turn the, the summer. It's, it's getting to that time when they're getting out of school. And we're in a way, we're excited because at our house, we're so sick of school and finals and dr- driving our children to get their work done. 
that we're excited for summer. But then about a weekend we'll be like, ugh. Are you guys going to do anything? But Will you guys go away again? We like you not being yeah. here. Yeah. Netflix. Interesting. I just got to notice that our Netflix, uh, we need to put in our credit card again on Netflix. Wow. So maybe I won't do that. And then maybe. my children will actually have to like go do something. Hmm. My kid came home yesterday, wanted to watch Spider-Man. Did you oblige? Of course. I'm a pushover. <laughs> that and I needed to mow the lawn before it rained. Here you go, son. Stay here. Stay I'm going here. outside. I'll be outside. And if he you tells need. me, he goes, Dad, I don't want to go outside with you. I'm going to watch Spider Man. Really? And I went, okay. That's <laughs> what, when I when I tell my kids to go mow the lawn. This is the benefit of having older kids. Well, they yeah. all say, Dad, I don't want to go out and mow the lawn. I just want to watch Spider Man. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Son, you're 17 years old. <laughs> go mow the lawn. Let it go. Don't let it go. Yeah, I can't wait to turn over the lawnmower. It'll be, I'll have a ceremony. It'll be a big day for me. It's my a kid. great day. I mean, this. I mean, it's a scary day because, you know, this is where they could lose a digit. I think I need to name the lawnmower. Oh, yeah. And I would name it an Avenger name. There we go. Toro. Well, that's the lawnmower. Not no, the not, but if you say it like that, Toro. It was like a bull. superhero. There's no it's superhero. It's like Zorro, but it's Toro. It's not a superhero. <laughs> That's the blade. Right. That's the Spanish dubbed version of uh, of the Avengers. There you, you go. You have I a t- am Toro. You have, you have a Toro si- song. I have a Toro song? The, ro- the romance song that Doctor of Love. Yeah, somewhere. You don't know where it went? Yeah, it's gone. It's a big system. It was a really good song. Was yeah. it really? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a Spanish conquistador. It had a whip in it. <laughs> nice. It's huge. Uh, sad news. B.B. King. The great blues guitarist is that what we call him the blues singer he passed away 89 years old he was having health complications he was in a hospice in las vegas so not necessarily a surprise but you never want to see anyone go no he uh got a lifetime achievement award from the recording academy blues hall of fame rock and roll hall of fame very successful career he had a guitar yes he did Guitar was named lucille lucille there's a story behind that Hit it. Winter of 1949. Yeah. King played at a dance hall in Twist, Arkansas. In order, to, in order to heat the hall, a barrel half filled with kerosene was lit, a fairly common practice at the time. During a performance, two men began to fight, knocking over the burning barrel oh, and heavens. sending burning fuel across the floor. The hall burst into flames. The building was evacuated. Once outside, King realized that he had left his guitar inside. Oh, so he, he went back into the burning building to receive his beloved $30 Gibson guitar. Now, this is 1949, so $30. Yeah, it was still it was an expensive guitar. Kind of, but yeah, two men died in the fire. King learned later that the next day that they had been fighting over, or the fight had been over a woman named Lucille. Interesting. King subsequently named the, his first guitar Lucille, as well as every guitar that followed, as a reminder to never again do something as stupid as to run into a burning building or <laughs> fight over a woman. In 1980, Gibson Guitar Corporation launched the B.B. King Lucille model. Ah, that's cute. So there you go. That's cool. BB King. Uh, Gladys Knight said, what a brilliant man. This was what she tweeted out. One who will forever be noted as such an inspiration to millions globally. Everybody's everybody's talking. Everybody, in fact, I'm trying to get down to uh, Ringo Starr. God bless BB King. Peace and love to his family. I mean, iconic. Iconic. Here we sit. BB Kingless. 
this is what happens, folks, when we you people go right. But then we we got to pick up the game. We got to follow the lead of these great uh, these great leaders. Uh, what uh, any other news you got for us? Jeb Bush is stumbling all over himself. I know he's. He's he was asked on Fox News, knowing what we know now, yeah, would you that. have uh, you know gone into the, the Iraq and uh-huh. the Persian Gulf War? And he said, absolutely, just like your brother did. Yes. Like, well, they preface the question with knowing what we know now. Yeah. The answer to that well, question is always no, because we know that there was no weapons of mass destruction. Every, and, so the, everybody would have okay. He made a mistake there, or whatever. But then it was mistake after yeah. then. Mistake. And then the next day he said. Um, that he misheard the question, yeah. or his, his uh, representative said that. Mm-hmm. Um, then the next day he said, asking me about Iraq does a disservice to soldiers. Asking hypothetical questions is pointless. So all these yeah. sort of trying to dodge, deflect, dodge, trying to dodge. deflect. And then finally he came back and said that he would not. At a town hall meeting in Arizona mm-hmm. yesterday, he said, obviously, we, I would not have made that decision knowing what we know now. Well, and he also talked about his brother. I mean, yes, it's hard to go. He doesn't. He's having a hard time distancing himself from his yeah. brother's choices, which have turned out to be, you know, in hindsight, bad. Yeah. But at the same time, he loves his brother, so he's not going to try to throw him under the bus. Right. Meanwhile, at the Clinton camp, all you hear is, "I know nothing." Well, she says nothing. And I, I heard someone it's smart. I mean, someone asking how this would hurt him and they're saying one all the republican candidates are not going to talk about the iraq war right because it's bad right right, right? it was Don't led by a republican it was a it was the wrong choice it's not something they're going to talk about and hillary voted for the war to right. go into it so she can't talk about it right so jeb's probably going to have a bad week and yeah. be and because it's so early in our 18th month 18 month circus it. that it's going to not hurt him overall that's why Hillary's out of this though because if she's made seven comments or whatever or, annou- or uh, answers since yes. to questions since she she launched her campaign, this is what she's doing. She's going to lay low so she doesn't have to go through this because that's the problem with these kind of you know these these candidates who had a husband or a dad and a brother already in it. Now you have to compare yourself to their record. And you got to be willing Clinton, to stand up against it. Bill Clinton came out and said, "If if his wife wants to reverse policies that he put in when he was in office, he's uh-huh. fine with that." Well, you know, yeah, so because I mean, his policies, yeah, he's totally. I mean, it's basically whatever policy will work in that moment. At the time, they were the uh-huh. policy that was best. Now they're being reversed, right? But some of those were. Th- that's one of the differences because they would never call them flip floppers. No, right? But because but you shouldn't change a policy. On a, on one of your moral principles, supposedly, yeah, you know, because that, otherwise that's flip flopping. But unless you're Clinton, so it could be it, it could be interesting. It may get annoying. It's going to get really annoying because you're going to hear a lot about family. I wish that we would just everybody. Let's just have a little moratorium where nobody says anything for three more months. No, wouldn't that be great? We have 24 hour cable news. Ah, uh, other news: the yeah. 2016 GOP primary already has six declared candidates. And according to the Washington Post, that number could balloon to a whopping 16 or more before the first GOP debate, which is August 6th. But if more than a dozen GOP hopefuls do enter the race, and that is highly likely, the Republican National Committee cannot figure out how to get them all on the same stage. (laughs) 
He goes, how will the networks, and they, they decide who gets kicked off. So far, there seems to be no good solution. It's very complicated. One person familiar with the discussion told the Washington Post, every time you think you come up with a fair and equitable way, there's a reason why that scenario falls apart. No more than 10 candidates have ever been on a stage for a GOP primary debate at the same time. I've got it. This is so easy to fix. What is it? Do you remember the show Hollywood Squares? Okay, just stack them. Stack them deep. Right. Sell them cheap. That is a great idea. And you get... Who's the wild card in the middle? Hillary. Okay. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You got Hillary because you you could just have two sets of nine. Okay. Because that's that's 18. Right. 16 Republicans. And then in the middle of one, you put Sanders, Bernie Sanders, and in the middle of the other, you put Hillary. There you go. With Republicans all around them. That's the question is... Uh, they're saying, who do you, uh, 10 candidates on a stage, yeah. how do you select who's not there? Arm wrestle. So what they're saying is they're looking at uh, things like uh, poll numbers, early state staffing, who has the best organization Interesting, yeah. Who's up. a real candidate? Uh, but whatever happens, whoever's left off is going to complain, and no one's going to be happy. No, I think you got to do it the old-fashioned way. Duel. But you have to have a duel. If you do Hollywood squares, it, it would at least be interesting. Don't you think? Because who falls Just asleep it up, up right. in the top corner that everyone right. gets called on? Uh, could I? We we have a question for Mr. Um, Sanders. Yeah. Did somebody wake up, Whoa. Bernie? What? What do you want? And also, we talked about the uh, conspiracy theory of the government takeover of Texas. Yes. The, so uh, is Texas Jade, still a part of our union? Yes. Jade Helm 15, this, yeah. this military exercise that conspiracy theorists think is just uh-huh. a guise to them take over. A sizable sector of the GOP primary electorate seems concerned that Texas is getting messed with. In May, national polling of Republicans, public policy polling asked participants, do you think the government is trying to take over Texas or not? Only 40% of respondents said no. Really? 32% answered yes, indicating they're concerned the government is going to go after the Lone Star State. 27% said they were unsure. I mean, I could see going after the Lone Star State with the IRS. Okay. (laughs) Just not special ops. Yeah. So 40% of the people think or no they, they 32 percent of the of the people asked said they believe the government's going to try to take over Texas. where was that study done at like a convention for probably just phone calls so the public polling or policy polling asks so hmm. it doesn't give you the methodology yeah. but it sounds you know usually these things are done by phone calls to make it as simple as possible but there's a sizable number of people who I are hope, convinced well i hope they're not right because once they've got texas where do they go next but don't we already have texas see that's what you'd think okay See, that's what they want you to think. <laughs> oh, the tangled web. Folks, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, if you've got kids or grandkids and you're worried that, uh, you know, you don't want them just sitting around on the couch all summer long, you better start doing something about it right now. They're about to get out of school. Some of them already are. Uh, and by golly, we've got to have a plan. We're bringing in Hank Smith. He's going to come join us. He is... Uh, just a, an incredible resource to help teens not only grow self-esteem, but, you know, get a plan for the life. And as parents, let's get a plan for the summer. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking summer and your kids up next right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. 
Oh, here we go. On the drums, James Birdsall. Also wearing a bathing suit and f- swimming fins. It's that time of the season. Put your shirt on, James. <laughs> We're trying to do a show here. But it's summer, Matt. <laughs> I like your radio voice. <laughs> hey, we're talking summer and your kids. By the way, that just reminds me of like Annette Funicello. That's how old I am. Doing the uh, the little shimmy, shimmy cocoa puff dance, whatever it's called. I don't know what it's called. I'm sure it's not puff. that. Uh, joining us in studio, Hank Smith's here, my friends. Hank's an author, a motivational speaker for youth. He's a doctor. I am. It should be Dr. Smith. Dr. Henry Lamar Smith. Yes. <laughs> What's your middle name, Hank? Ryan. Henry, Henry Ryan Smith. Ryan Smith. Hank Smith's with us. Uh, by the way, great. You provide really awesome audios, uh, CDs that people can listen to on a variety of topics for teens, basically. Yep, that's what I do. It's a good gig. Yeah. You're changing lives. Yeah, we just put out our 13th CD. Oh, my heavens. 13th, yeah. You need to slow down. Yeah. You're going to get a cold. I'm I'm having a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have – how many kids do you have? We have five. Five kids, ages? Uh, 11 down to two two two-year-olds. 11 down to two. See, so that's a perfect example because these kids, they're just going to want to watch TV. Right. That's what happens. They kind of – they hit, they go right into that uh, default mode. But nothing wrong with that. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with TV. There's nothing wrong with video games. But 10 hours a day. Yeah. Uh, and then it's all of a sudden, Mom, I'm bored. Oh, I know. Right, that that phrase, I'm bored. Well, and then I blew that because my kids would say, Mom or Dad, I'm bored. And I'd say, let's go have you weed. Right. <laughs> let's go We're going to have you weed in the yard. And now they don't tell me when they're bored. Right. They just go to their rooms quietly and build a bomb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whatever they do up there. They find a uh, they find a, a device, right? Spend, yeah. Spend their life so playing Candy Crush. Playing Candy Crush. Yeah. And so what are we supposed to do, Hank? You deal – you, and you've taught these the youth. You've, you've worked with them. You're kind of in their head. What are we supposed to do? So I mean we want to be fun. We want to give them the tools. We want to get them tech savvy. Right. We want them to have a break. And – From school. Yeah. yeah. From the – well, I think the biggest problem that people run into uh, is – a lack of, of planning, right? Uh, big ideas turn into a bunch into three wasted months. Yeah, because we didn't plan it out. We didn't. That's why I wanted it out. right now because there's not the press to do it yet. You know, there's not right. a big push. But in uh, two months, your summer's gone. Yeah, all of a sudden you think, wait, 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 wait we yeah. were going to do so much, yeah. right? Now all of a sudden they have to go back. We have to get ready to go back. So let's talk number one about planning and goals. All right. So, how do you make how do you make a good plan? Now, a lot a lot of people think, no, it's summer. I don't want to have a plan. No, that's the point. We right? want to be planned. Yeah, I want to be free, <laughs> and and a plan can make you free. Yeah, totally. Uh, you if you if you'll if you'll look at it that way, plan, a plan and an agenda is not a master. It is a tool for you to use. You can adjust the plan anytime you want. Right. You can say, oh, okay, I don't let's 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 change let's change things up a little bit. So even though it's hard, uh, it's kind of a hard thing to do. That in that initial investment. It's going to pay off. Yeah. So you sit down with the kids and you say, "Okay, what are our summer plans? What do we want to do? What you know? You've seen the big rocks, little rocks. Yeah, yeah. Idea. Yeah. Right? So like a jar, and if you you got you could put big rocks in it, little rocks in it, gravel in it, right? Water. Yeah. And you're saying, how can we fit all this into our one summer? And the key to the to the object lesson, right, is you got to put the big rocks yeah. in. If you start first. with the sand. Yeah, it'll fill up. You're not putting the rock, the big rocks. Right. And so we kind of default. The sand is like 
social media, video games. The and, fillers, yeah, right? And, All and the and little Netflix. things. And, yeah. And if we just let that take over, it'll fill up the whole summer. Right. Uh, we won't get any big rocks in. So first things first is we've got to we've got to uh, we've got to identify those big rocks. What do what what do we want to make sure we get done? Like a vacation as a family, you're going to want to make sure you get a vacation right. or some break with your kids. Right. That's a that's a big rock. We're yeah. going to take three days. And and the, I think one of the problems we run into is parents think this has to be expensive. Oh, Disneyland. Right, that's going to be the automatic. I mean, if you kids, love you your children, do? you're going yeah, good to go to Disneyland. Take their kids to that's Disneyland. Right. <laughs> or my kids are like, "Why haven't we been to Mount Rushmore?" Right, why? And I'm that, like, well, I don't know. It's in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> and <laughs> that's, it's expensive. Maybe that's why. Yeah, you know, we have seven people in our family now. Right. Seven, seven plane tickets. When it was just my wife and I, oh yeah, yeah, we'd save up for a couple months and we'd go on a trip. Yeah, there's seven of us. Seven. Yeah. So if we could drive to Hawaii, right. we'd go. Well, my kids, we wanted to go on a trip to the Midwest, and they're like, "I'm like, let's just take, let's just take our car," and they're like, "No, let's take a motorhome." <laughs> I'm like, "Well, we don't have a motorhome. <laughs> let's rent a motorhome." Duh. Well, I've looked into it. Sure, you can rent them fairly inexpensively. It's just driving them. <laughs> And you're going to yeah. be the one driving. Like, exactly. They have the great – They're all back there playing and yeah. sleeping. And, <laughs> but again, it, then you got to pay. So no matter what, you're paying unless you just keep it simple. You're right. You've heard the idea of staycations, right? There's plenty of things, there's plenty of things yeah. to do in your backyard. People come to your state to do things. Yeah. So find out Go why do those. <laughs> why are you here? Yeah, why do you come to, to wherever? Because yeah. uh, from wherever you're from, find out. Uh, do you remember that old story about the kid who's pumping gas? Uh, for the guy, and he says, "How far to the Grand Canyon?" And the guy said, "The kid says, oh, it's two hours or so.'" And uh, the the guy says, uh, "What's it like?" He said, "I don't know. I've never been there. Never been there, right? It's too far. You live two hours from the Grand <laughs> Canyon. You've never been there." But then he said, uh, "Where are you from?" And he said, "I'm from New York." He said, "Oh, I've." And the kid, the guy pumping the gas, says, "Oh, I've seen the." The Statue of Liberty. I've seen the Statue of Liberty. And the guy's like, well, I've never well, seen what's it. What's that like? <laughs> yeah. It's too crowded. Yeah. <laughs> so but that's – we, we don't – and by the way, again, that's not a big rock. If we don't make – if we don't put the idea of going to see these things as a big rock and get it in our it'll, life – It'll never happen. Even if you don't know what you're going to do, you know you might want a vacation. Right. So get that on your calendar. Yeah, put it on your calendar. Get your calendar out. Let's sit down with our kids. If we don't involve them in the planning, oh, yeah. uh, they're not going to be – for it. They need right. to, to buy in. They're going to need to be involved in the planning. And you can let them know how budgets work and yeah. how much money we have. Because automatically, what do you want to do this summer? I want to go to Disneyland. I want to go to a yeah. movie every day. I want to. We know. actually had a son before he went on a, an LDS mission. He was, what was he, 18? He, we went to LA, to California, and we just let him decide what he wanted to do because it was his last yes. hurrah. He created the best trip. We went to museums. We saw ball games. Nice. We went to really just incredible sites that we never would have known about because he put it together. Yeah. We just drove by state. We had to drive by the Staples Center because he wanted to see that. Right. We had to drive by all these. So I, I, we could trust our kids a lot more than we think. Right. And if they have involvement, they'll buy in. Yeah. They'll say, let's do this, right? And we'll make a list of things. Uh, I, I didn't come today with a list of things you could do because those are Everybody's available. got something. Right. You just need the plan. If you type in kids summer Pinterest, you'll, yeah. you could spend the whole summer oh, no. looking at Pinterest. You know what, Hank? Of ideas I, th- of I printed one, the summer. but you don't – I mean – Bake cookies for ice cream sandwiches. Volunteer at a nature center. Pick berries. Have a picnic at a state park. Make ice cream. Go canoeing. I mean, there There's are lists. Thousands. If you need stuff to do, <laughs> there are lists. And honestly, your kids can 
know what to do. Yeah, they'll come up with a good. Yeah, they'll come up with just a good maybe list listen to what they're saying. Like, Dad, I want to go see this concert. Right. Like, okay. Uh, part of it, I think, is also involving them in your routine because mom already has her routine. Mm-hmm. And she can't all of a sudden just say, okay, no one's going to do the laundry. No one's going right. to, you know, no one's going to do the dishes. No one's going to cook any meals. We're just going to go play. Yeah. Right? Party. <laughs> and so kids are like, well, how come, you know, how come we're not doing anything? And she's saying, well, I still have work to do, even right. though you are off. Your life, yeah, right. mom's life doesn't stop. <laughs> yeah. So maybe in learn, let's talk about ways uh, to have a routine. Uh, and we, you know, in the morning, this is what we do. This is how, you know, this is how it works. And this is your job in the morning. And this is, you know, work, summer and work don't have to be incompatible. Yeah. Kids need to work during the summer. Uh, and they can be involved in the laundry. They can be involved in – And it doesn't have to be all day. But it, you're right. saying the routine is get up. Like have some routine where they get up. We have breakfast. We clean up our breakfast. We maybe do some chores. Right. And free time after whatever. Yeah. And it's totally OK for, for kids to to sleep in during the summer. Yeah. No, exactly. Not a problem. But sleeping in till 1 or 2 uh-huh. or – you know, and all of a sudden a teenager's – on a, a nocturnal animal, right? <laughs> uh, that's probably not a great idea. So it's good to still have times that we wake yeah. up and we do things. We have things that we have to get done. Uh, and then we have this period of time where we can go play. Routine is good. Uh, kids love routine. Even though they don't know that they love routine, mm-hmm. kids love routine. Like, well, that's coming from a teacher, by the way, that that's how you – once you get them in the routine, it's it's yeah. good for them. It's predictable. It's they, they Now they know, know where they're – what they get. They know where they sit. They know their job. Yeah. They know what to do. Uh, and predictability makes it safe and safety makes it fun, mm. right? Uh, so uh, one thing my wife does, I asked her last night. I said, what do you do? And she said, well, the root, one of the routines is we have Friday field trip day. So it's not every day. Can That's we cool. go? Yeah. Can we go somewhere? Can we go somewhere? She says, no, let's wrap it Friday's up. Friday's the day. We have our Fridays. We have what? Ten Fridays this summer. That's great. We're going to do. That's a great idea. And, and then, yeah, then, fill then them in. and make your list of everything we might want to do. All right. And let's and just start filling gonna them in. We're going to pick those and. It's what huge. are going to do this Friday? We're talking with Dr. Hank Smith. Hank, do you have a website? Yeah. Uh, I just use the, the uh, Facebook the Facebook page. Still. Go on Facebook and uh, look up Hank Smith. We're going to take a break. Come back more on families and summer. How to make sure you don't uh, create you know couch potatoes, Netflix <laughs> bingers this summer with your children. More with Hank Smith and uh, you know ideas, tools right here on the Matt Townsend Show after the break. Nothing says uh, summer more than the Beach Boys. Joining us is Dr. Hank Smith. Uh, he's he really is a teen guru. I don't know what you call it, but he know he understands the youth of the world, folks. And he's joining us uh, to help us get a plan together for what we should be doing with our kids this summer. And we're doing it now because if we wait till summer when the kids are out of school. It's kind of too late. You better already be putting, as we're talking about it, the big rocks in the schedule, right? And then, right. then little rocks can fill in their day-to-day play stuff, then sand and water, and you'll fill it in with a bunch yeah. of other stuff. And then you won't get – you won't end up getting 
frustrated because I, I notice when I get frustrated the most, it's probably when I feel the most guilty. Oh yeah, because I haven't done anything yeah. like that. I mean, a good dad would be much more involved, right? And so there, I'm like, no more TV. We are done with TV yeah. for a month. That's right. right. It's after you've just binged on right. twelve shows. <laughs> we are done. Yeah. <laughs> we're going cold turkey. They're looking at me like we didn't do anything wrong. We just did what we kind of normally. We were just do. following your lead, Dad. Right. <laughs> Shut so, up! <laughs> Don't talk back to me. Right. Oh, that was an exact oh, conversation as I'm out mowing the lawn and they're you know in watching TV. I'm like, this is it. We're done. Uh, <laughs> and it's all my fault, right? Uh, I think. Wait till they're older, Hank, because we're all inside and the lawn's like a foot long in the backyard, right. <laughs> and we're all and then I'm feeling guilty, like I should go mow the lawn, but then I'm like, I've got these kids that can mow the lawn. Yeah. I already work, and, and everybody get up. And then we <laughs> they're in trouble. Work. Yeah. And they're out there for 10 minutes and then they kind of like weasel with their way back yeah. inside. Um, so let's let's talk priorities here because that's, that's, this is a big one. And, and this is probably where you and I are going to uh, feel a little guilty is that your work schedule can take over to uh. where uh, this awesome three-month opportunity that you had to spend time together and, and have these wonderful conversations you've dreamed of, uh, it's gone. But gone. Uh, yeah, and all of a sudden you're back in school. Oh, dude, I've missed vacation. I mean, my kids have had a vacation, but it wasn't on my schedule, my professional schedule. Right, and so and you my office it. booked me. Everything was booked. Everything. So I ended up missing a week of time with my kids. That's just oh, <laughs> honestly, yeah. And so it, you got to be ahead of the game. Yeah. And I I've noticed with me, and I'm sure this is how it works with with you and others, is that. Something that's three months away just seems so easy to pencil in. You know, mm-hmm. someone says, "Can you come speak? Can you yeah. come do this?" And whatever it is with you, yeah. you know, anyone's career, can you come do this? And you think, "Oh yeah, look at that. My future self has so much time, right? My right. future self is going to do so much more." My than future my self is so self. skinny and healthy, right. <laughs> <laughs> and so he'll, he'll of course be able to do that sure. and be able to, you know, work with work, be with his family all the time, and and it ends up being just like. My current self, which is way overbooked. Right. Uh, so uh, we've got to make sure, like we said before, we got to put those big rocks in and schedule those days. These are family days. Those have got to be scheduled in. Sometimes we leave those things for kind of the yeah. fill-in time. Like, right. Oh, I'll have time for my. While family. you're at it, fill in. Do birthdays. Right. Birthdays. And- uh, marriage uh, anniversaries. All right. the great important events. Like do. Yeah. Have those get it out there. Yeah. Have those set in stone and those are those are just as important as the you know, the the twenty thousand dollar speaking gig that's that, right. that Matt gets. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Need more of those. Right. <laughs> Anybody want to pay us twenty thousand dollars to come speak? I'm not please, Hillary Clinton. Please call <laughs> this number. Um so we've got to make sure we don't end up with a summer of regrets. And so number one is plan Two, uh, help kids. And I think teenagers is probably more so than, than little ones. Uh, learn how to set goals. Yeah. Right. Summertime is such a school is so easy to just kind of follow you know, the lead. Yeah. This is what I'm supposed to be doing where summer, all of a sudden it's up to you, you know, if you want to get things done. So yeah. we set a goal of, I don't know, my, my daughter is a reader, so she'll set a goal of how many books she wants to so read. So you actually sit summer. down and say, okay, guys, what are your summer goals? Right. What and, are and our goals? And actually make it formal. Like write it down on a piece of paper. Yep. How are you going to well, do it? Well, if a goal's it? not written down, it's yeah. not a 
it's not a goal. Last right? hour we talked about optimism. You know, don't just be optimistic that you'll have a summer. Right. <laughs> like have a plan. Be realistic. How are you going to accomplish this goal? How will you feel if you do it? Right. And set it's it out cool. week by week. And all of a sudden we think, no, I don't want to be tied down by that. But really it's – that'll be – it'll be it'll lead to yeah. more freedom. You'll feel like, hey, I got something done. Right. I accomplished something. Uh, a lot of us, we just kind of hand our kids a list and say go. You know, go. And they're just not adapt to that. Mm. School never – doesn't usually say, "Hey, here's your, here's what you got to get done. That's right. Go do it." Well, you're told more, right? And and these kids need to learn how to create, right? Change, it's, yeah. And so it's kind of got to be shown to them. It'll take some investment up yeah. front, but if with that investment, then comes you know these opportunities for them to really say, oh, "Okay, I know what I need." I need to do. Like yeah. My son and I will sit down. We'll look at the room and we'll say, "Okay, what is the expectation for the room and how's it need to look?" Right, and it takes a while. Yeah, you've heard Stephen Covey's green and green and clean, green and clean. Right? Yeah. It took a while to invest in that, and then, then the boy didn't really know what to do, even after all That's the right. training. He's that still was kind of- so Stephen took his son and tried to empower him to be able to be in charge of the the lawn, and he kept it very simple. I just want the lawn. Stephen said green. Like the neighbors, right? <laughs> Green. And clean, clean, like the kitchen, your mom's kitchen. So and I want, I want the toys picked up, and he just he taught him two words, yeah. and then he just and we did training, 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 and yeah. then he said the first what first week, yeah, nothing, like, yeah, nothing. 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 <laughs> it was it wasn't green and it wasn't clean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he said, but I wanted to jump in and just make him do mm-hmm. it, but don't you got to resist mm-hmm. that temptation. Yeah, uh, and then you know, and, and then he could going. review it like once a week. Yeah. He just. So, son, we, remember we talked about green and clean. Yeah. And you notice the lawn's kind of going brown. He said, how's it going? And he says, oh, dad, it's too hard. I too can't do pressure. it. Right. <laughs> and so yeah. they worked it together and all of a sudden he takes over. I think the same thing's got to work for the summertime with our goals with yeah. our kids. Uh, sometimes we, we say, here you go. Yeah. You know, Get her done. Go have a great life. That's uh, right. And they, they're not prepared for no. that. You, they, need, they just need direction. And then I would even have a follow-up like once a week. We're just right. going to check in. How's it going? Every Sunday, I'm just going to ask, how are you doing on your goals? Yeah, how's it looking on our goals? For, right, and I'm not going to discipline summer. you. It's, it's your goal. If you don't, it's, but it's what you said you wanted to do. Right. I'll always be there if you need me. And, sh- and yeah, what, what can I help you with? Mm-hmm. What could we do? Do we need to adjust the goal? It's yeah. okay to adjust totally. the goal. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to end up in summer feeling like I failed. My I'm such a, a loser. <laughs> right. I only read 20 books. Right. I didn't read 50. Right. You know, uh, so we can adjust the goal according to uh, how's it going. Right. But. The key, I think, to a fun summer is plans. Yeah. Uh, to set out uh, and have a plan, and then kids don't get kids don't get bored because they know that there's co- things coming up. Well, and plans too, I guess. That so we're physically growing, socially growing, emotionally, spiritually. Right. I mean, make some money, put some money away, use your money. We have a child that all of a sudden has this emergency need, not really, but in his mind, and. He actually is going to spend his money to do it. We'll spend half. He'll spend some. But it's actually creating for the first time this really interesting collaboration because right. we now have something he's motivated on. Yeah. And now he's all of a sudden he's responsible. Yeah. He's thinking, it's hey. such a cool moment. Yeah. Uh, and making – you know, having some way to earn some money over the summer is, is yeah. fantastic. Even if you're the one that's providing all the – you know, you're drinking all the lemonade from the lemonade it's stand so and paying true. all the money. <laughs> We're so bad. We, um, we hired a guy to come do some stuff in our yard. That I should probably be doing, um, and my I'm, I just have this vision. So my wife said he came by and he pulled this tree out and did all this stuff. And I have this vision of my entire family looking out the window, <laughs> watching at, at the guy taking the tree out of our yard. Good job. 
Good. Hey, that's cool. That's really neat. They're filming, they're, they're, they're filming them on their phones and <laughs> they're answering their, their email and I'm thinking, I am such a bad father. <laughs> I should have had – I have all boys, one daughter and five boys and I should have them all out there chopping. Everyone the should down. be out there together. Yeah. But that's, that's not necessarily the case. But one right? day a week we could wing that. You know, We could – when I have a free Saturday, that's what we ought to be doing for an hour is be out there and teach – because they're going to learn discipline and, and responsibility with you. They're not right. going to learn it. Without you. Yeah, just, you know, make sure you get the yards done. I'll be home tonight. <laughs> That's right. Right, and then you come home. Why aren't the yards done? That's right. Uh, mostly, I think our anger during the summer, our frustration, mostly comes from our guilt that we didn't yeah. take the time uh, to, to do it. And the only t- way we're going to take the time is if we schedule it. That's right. Uh, get it in there. We're so scheduled anyway. It's, uh, it's true. Your job, you know where you're going to be from 8 in the morning till 5 at night. You right. already know that. We are absolutely scheduled. If we don't schedule our family time, they're just not going to get yeah. They're not going to get time. The other thing about a schedule I've noticed is um, emergencies come up. A funeral comes up, something you have to right. have. But the benefit of having – so I already know, for example, I need free time every week to write certain articles. Yeah. So I already have that scheduled pretty much out forever. And so if all of a sudden I have a funeral I need to go to, then I might be able to – because I have these free spaces in my calendar, I might be able to move my calendar around with a little more flexibility simply because I've already put in family time, right. other space, work time, different things where if, if you just let your day compact like the sand filling up the jar, there's no way to get even a big rock in. I've had a situation right. where I had a speech in another state. They're paying you money to do it. You're under contract to do it. And a, and, and a death and a funeral. And so you miss a funeral and really there's nothing you really could do. Yeah. I mean it's – you're contractually obligated and yet I've had another situation where my daughter's graduation was there and uh, was scheduled the same time I was doing a speech and I'd already done a bunch of speeches with this company and then my daughter puts it on my calendar which like a week before right. instead of <laughs> – Anyway, but I saw how hard the company I was working for and speaking for tried to get me to my daughter's they made graduation. Some adjustments for and you. they did. And they adjust the schedule so that now I was still wasn't ideal. Right. I wasn't there for everything, but I was there enough yeah. that she probably didn't even know. <laughs> the graduations are so Six exciting, right? All four right. hours yeah. uh, are, are the best. Um, so we just we have to encourage our, our listeners to say, okay, I know this seems like Kind of a tough thing, a, not, a tough initial investment, but let's let's sit down uh, the week before Memorial Day. Let's sit down and let's map out a summer. Let's, let's have a plan. Hey, any good good looking house is going to have a blueprint. That's right, right. If you just went in saying, "Okay, well, right. what should we do?" Yeah. Let's you know throw this house together. It's not going to no, no, it's no. not going to look good. So let's let's make a blueprint before. And before you we get you already, for example, know we're going to need the house cleaned. Right. You're going to need rooms made. You, you might be a great time to do your clean, like spring cleaning, deeper yeah. cleaning. You already know the yard's going to be and done. We so all need to eat. We all need to eat. So part. there's already 20 <laughs> things that could be right. on there. You already know that the kids want to sleep in and they want to have some free time. Right. And they want to watch some movies, uh-huh. which is totally fine. Movies and TVs can be that's right. fun. It could be great. If it's not the entire summer. That's right. I think that's it. And, and then get all of those rocks in and then let life kind of fill in around those. Yeah. Yeah, you already have, know it's going to be birthdays. You already know what's going to go we down. We have three hours before we're going to go do this. Go do whatever you want. Super cool. That makes free time fun. That makes even being bored be fun. Yeah. 
I mean, that really, I mean, I haven't felt bored lately. Yeah, I haven't been bored in years, but I'm sure I'd it's... give anything to be bored. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's weird. James, how come, how come you're always so bored? We just, I'm trying to figure out how He's I can just be more like across the table. Yeah, I, I just sit here and counting the, the dots on the wall. Just bored, aren't you? <laughs> Which is weird because there really aren't very many. Waiting until he has to play the music again. Yeah, yeah. like six dots. <laughs> how long did it take you to count the dots? Count them over and over again. Well, Hank, I appreciate you, man. I mean, that really is great uh, advice. And, and it's it's as simple as – but today, start it today. Right. Get your calendar out today and start putting those bigger rocks in. You right. already know holidays that are coming up. Birthdays. Yeah. I think one thing that starts that we struggle with is we think a uh, schedule has to be perfect. Yeah. No. Uh, no. Schedules done is better than perfect. That's right. Uh, so go for done. Go for a, a schedule yeah. more than a perfect schedule. And maybe, it's never going to happen. And maybe for the first time, like, like seriously prioritize your family. So we're, you're going to take all your vacation time. There's some people that just don't take all their time. Right. Get it. Get your vacation time in there instead of just cramming it all in at the end of the year or whatever. Right, because you're going to use them, use them or lose them. Right, yeah. don't do it. Map it out this summer. Say, I'm going to take this these four days, and we're going to go, we're going to go camping. Oh, right. Brother. We are going to go camping. We're going to make it because how many times did we wanted to go camping? We wanted to yeah, go backpacking. Want to camp. We wanted, yeah, but back, yeah, hiking, whatever it is, we yeah. wanted to do it, and then we never end up doing it because it's not scheduled. Schedule it; it'll happen. And if any of you have any other questions, Dr. Hank Smith, you can find him on Facebook. Yeah, come to my Facebook page. It's way cool. And he has 13 now uh, audios that you can have your kids get, download, yep. or buy them. They'll if you're taking a road trip this summer. this is That's the way to do it. Yeah, I'll go with you. Oh, wow. Pick up some CDs and... Or I'll really come with you if you really want me to. <laughs> that, that costs more, of I'll course. I'll come talk. <laughs> he can talk in your motorhome as you're driving. <laughs> oh, it's a Mount Rushmore. Good stuff. Hank Smith. Go check it out Face on Facebook. Uh, we'll take a break, my friends. Come back. When we come back, we're going to get into parent previews. Rod Gustafson will be joining us talking about some of the late uh, and great movies coming out, giving us his review. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone, Rod Gustafson's joining us. Again, he's our friend at uh, parentpreviews.com. He's here uh, to review some of the movies that are coming out in theater and also on DVD. Um, actually, today we'll probably more focus on theater this week. Rod, how are you, brother? I'm doing good. How are you, Matt? Excellent. You still alive up there in Canada? I'm still alive and doing well. It snowed yesterday, but Did not it? for very long. Yeah. It's cold here. We have yeah. a little cold rain. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what we're doing here, too. Same thing. Hey, now you, again, your organization at parentpreviews.com, you review movies with kind of a, a, a parent's eye to make sure that we are, are Letting our kids know, really, before before we go to the movie, we want to make the best decision if this is a movie that's good for kids or not. What movies have you been previewing uh, lately? Well, it, amazingly, I one film I saw this week. There's two movies that are opening this week that are going to be our our major headliners. One's called One's for the Boys, Mad Max Fury Road. Hmm. And then the other one's for the girls, and that one's pitch perfect. And so Hollywood likes to do that, make sure that they've got both bases covered. 
Um, so, if you're okay, let's spend a couple of minutes with Matt Max. Yeah, let's go there. With. And uh, now, Matt Max is a little unusual because this is an R-rated movie. We don't do a lot of R-rated movies, but we also look for the ones that we think are going to have wide appeal even to teenagers. Huh. Matt Max <clears throat> certainly fills that category. This, of course, is a reboot of the old original Mad Max that was once done, I think, way back in 1979 with Mel Gibson. You know, I got through about a half hour of that movie once, and I thought, I just can't even stand it. So I wasn't really looking very forward to going to Mad Max Fury Road, which, by the way, is done by the same director. Here he is 36 years later, uh, and he's doing his, and he's redoing his one of his very first works. Mad Max Fury Road was quite surprising to me. Now, the first thing I want to say on the onset, Matt, to any listeners who are thinking that this is an endorsement to take your family to this movie, think very carefully about this. First of all, absolutely no to children. Maybe the oldest teenagers, Hmm. um, you may find this suitable for them. But that would be about it. But this is a very well-made movie that, even though it falls into the action movie genre, it is very different than what we are seeing typically in other action movies, in that, first of all, it's not full of product placements and branding and that type of thing. It it takes place in a post-apocalyptic world, which we've had, it seems like, every action movie taking place in a post-apocalyptic world. So what's a little bit different about this one um, that really surprised me, and even even the more and more I thought about it, is the role that women play in this movie. In most action movies, women, for the most part, like will we're often will be given like one woman action hero, so to speak. Uh-huh. She's like one of the boys, and then all of the women are basically sexual ornamentation. Uh, you know, they're like decoration on the screen. If right. you know what I mean. Yeah. In this movie. The women actually play a very integral role to resolving the situation and to moving the plot forward. And uh, in a strange sort of a way, this is the most female-oriented action movie I've ever seen, even though 90% of the, uh, of the audience I was screening it with were male. And the other interesting thing, too, is in this dystopian society, which is being run by this uh, horrible ruler who actually is using women. He's, he's in a multiple polygamous marriage, and he uses these women. They're forced to marry him. He uses them for breeding purposes to create armies. So, I mean, this is really dark stuff. Yeah. But what saves the day in this film is actually the role of motherhood and how important motherhood is to having a society that is going to be able to function properly. Strange things to find in an action film. Right. Now, Going going back to our usual things that we usually talk about, um, violence is the biggest issue in this film, although it falls short of being, um, shall we say, completely a violent spectacle. Uh, it, there is a lot of violence in it, but it is not to the level of what many other R-rated movies go to. Hmm. Um, and with sexual content as well, I was surprised that the sexual content, that there wasn't more of it. There is discussion about it, but we don't really, there is no overt sexual content on screen except for we see a far shot of, of one naked woman from, from behind. And there is only one word, one profanity in this film. Unfortunately, it's the usual sexual expletive, but there's only one, which is also surprising. Yeah. 
This is an R-rated movie that's about violence, really, and living on the frontier. That's amazing. Yeah, exactly. So so anyhow, if you are, and if this is your kind of genre, and I'm sure you're familiar with the term pulp fiction. Yeah. Well, this is pulp. This is pulp at its very best, I guess, if Hmm. you will. And uh, I think it's going to wind up in a lot of film studies textbooks in about 10 years. Wouldn't surprise me if we see this film show up at the Oscars next year as well. Wow. the visuals are absolutely astounding. The uh, the performances are amazing. And what's different about this film, as opposed to, let's say, The Avengers, which just came out recently, is you actually care about these characters. The director has managed to have action scene, and there's many of these car chases with these incredibly mutated vehicles. And you have scene after scene after scene of this, but you still care about the characters at That's the amazing. end. So it's a very well-made That's film. That's great. So over, overall, C-grade for family viewing. Be very careful with this one, but it really deserves some artistic merit. That's great. And again, R-rated. But um, And then we've got about 10 seconds, 15 seconds. What's your basic feel on Pitch Perfect 2? Really disappointed by Pitch Perfect 2. Wonderful music, but just full of crass humor and sexual discussion and that type of thing. And a whole other discussion, Matt. The Obamas actually play in this movie. They actually show up. Usually movies really? that have the president and the first lady. Yeah. If an actor and actress, they're actually in this film. I don't know how I feel about that. We'll have to talk yeah. about that one day. Yeah, that is your president, <laughs> for heaven's sakes. He's not an yeah, actor. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and somewhat endorsing a movie that we could not endorse. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, we've got to get into that, Rod, because that's... Yeah. Okay, next time, for sure. We'll talk about that. Okay. Rod, we'll we appreciate you. And and keep up the great work. Again, parentpreviews.com. They're, they'll, they're out there reviewing the, the movies that uh, you need to know about so you can talk to your family and make the best choices for your family. This is the Matt Townsend Show, hour number two. It's in the books, my friends. We'll be back after the break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome. Dr. Matt Townsend here hanging out with my peeps. James the B-Dog Birdsall. Wow. Happy fingers. And Terry, the pessimist south, apparently. Oh, come on! There you go. <laughs> That's perfect. Mike Pond is I think I've said that four times this on morning. deck, warming up. It's funny because, uh, again, you two have pretty, pretty good, you know, songs that represent you. James has yet to find a song to represent me. I'm kind of a big deal. Okay, it's not a song, but it's... That works, though. We're getting closer. It's representative. I'm kind of a big deal. Hey, welcome to the show, folks. Uh, we got a great topic coming up. Dreams. Okay, first memory. Not dreams, memories. First memory, James. What is your? What is the earliest childhood memory you have, if you can share it? My earliest childhood memory. That's That's a tough one. The first one that comes to my mind is me running into the corner of a wall... When I was a young child. Why did you do that? I don't know because we had this – we had our living room on one side, our kitchen on the other, and we had one, I guess, probably a bearing wall that was in between them. Yeah. 
And so, by the way, it was always there. Yes, always there. It didn't it didn't move. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. There, so I would run around it, and there was this one time where I just came around the corner and poop. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Right into the the corner. So you remember that? Yeah. Did you get stitches? I did. Got got See, stitches. That's on why you remember it. Yes. Emotional. Yeah. Traumatic. Yeah. Yes. Kind of fell on the ground, felt, felt the blood streaming down my face. Uh, How old do you think you were? 16, 17? <laughs> so, yeah, because of that, I don't remember anything it's before. the weirdest thing. Yeah, that's my, my first dream. Childhood. My first memory. One head injury. Uh, Terry, do you have an early memory? Not really. Okay. When I saw this story coming up, I started thinking I could not remember. Have, what is the earliest memory? Uh, Sixth grade dance. I don't know. Okay. That's such a weird thing for me to try to uh, nail down. There's there's like thoughts. I mean, I'm riding my bike as a kid and fell off and just happened to land on a manhole cover. But oh yeah, my See, knee got again, all tore traumatic. up. I remember when but I. I don't know if that's a memory or if it's an explanation of why I have a scar, the scars on my knee. Well, it could be the same thing. I'm not sure. A memory and an explanation. Because at some point, people tell you a story enough, you just develop a mental image, and is that a memory? I I was playing t-ball on the lions. We had yellow shirts with lions written on them, getting ready to go to my first or second t-ball game and was out riding my bike, which I thought was a motorcycle because it had knobby tires. And um, I learned a very important lesson. You have to look up when you ride your bike. I was I was being mesmerized by my feet pedaling and apparently drove right into the back of a Jeep. You're like, look at the good job my feet are doing. My feet oh. are pedaling, 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 pedaling. And then all of a sudden there was this license plate that says, if you can Jeep. read this, flip me over. It's actually like a Ford. Remember those Ford Jeeps? That was nice. It was a nice car. I'd love to have So one. the thing that wasn't a Jeep at all. Yeah, what's it called? Like a Ford? Ranger? Uh, uh, smaller Ford Ranger? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. That's... Back in the day? Not the truck Ranger. This was just a Ford a Blazer? Jeep. Is that? No, that was a Chevy. Oh, oh that's they're a really Chevy. good looking. Or a GM. Explorer? Yeah. I don't know. I was young and I had a head injury. I'm, right. I don't remember. I just saw Ford. Crunch. You should well, remember it. It, was, it was imprinted on your forehead. By the way, I got blood on my uniform. Mm. I had to play the rest of the season with blood on the uniform. So when I'd get up to bat, they'd be like, and I had a big scab on my face. They're like, that's oh, that kid. Well, he's intimidating. Everyone's he's afraid of you. Bloody Townsend. He's a little, little off. Actually, not really. But I, I, I remember also striking out that season in T-ball. Humiliating. <clears throat> so bad memories. We're going to talk about what your memories mean. They, your earliest memories tell you something, and we're going to find out. We'll be talking with Dr. Christine Bacho, Bacho about that. So hopefully, you know, crashing into a Jeep and striking out in T-ball doesn't mean that's my future. Anyway, B.B. Uh, King died. B.B. King died. Tragic, sad loss of another great. We'll play some of his music coming up and. You'll probably hear it all day long. Celebrate. In the many places you go. In other news, Estonia. Yes. La, uh, La, Lava. Latvia. Yeah, Latvia and Lithuania. Good job. I was Thank trying you. to like, that doesn't spell yeah. right. Um, they are asking, Baltic states mm-hmm. are asking for increased NATO allocation of troops within their border. Really? <laughs> so are we, so why? Because what are they thinking? They're Russia? scared. Yeah, I bet. They're afraid of Russia. They they want seven to 800 troops to be placed in each country. Hmm. And NATO is said to be assessing the situation carefully. This leads into the report I had yesterday that said that Mos- or, uh, Russian citizens, over 50% of the ones that were polled, believe that there's a possibility of a U.S. invasion. 
Oh, see, that's right. See, yeah. So all of a sudden, NATO troops start NATO, going which is seen as kind of by Russia as the United States and friends amassing troops on the border. It feeds into paranoia. Crazy. And we'll have a expert on next week to talk about Russia and why they have such paranoia and why they make the political decisions. Well, we need to know the history do, there, right? Based on their history. So we'll have a Russian history. I mean, remember, Russia was an, a, an, a, an accumulation of all of these other countries. Yes. Latvia, Slovenia, or whatever, East Lithuania, Estonia, all Lithuania. these. They were part of the Soviet Union mm-hmm. after World War II, but they kept all that land to kind of keep a buffer zone between Russia proper and yep. the rest of the world because of the fact that people kept invading them hmm. over the years. So, History. See, memories. We're going to be talking about it. In other, in other news, yeah, the uh, House ended, allegedly, NSA phone call collection. They had that vote we oh, were talking okay. about. Yeah. So the- it was 338 to 88. Wow. So it passed resoundingly. It does so the NSA- change and limit the NSA. It doesn't take away all of their phone collection activities. Most of the data that they've collected before, if this bill is what it is, will be collected from the phone companies rather than from a vast net of electronic. Oh, so so really what we're doing is NSA is not going to spy on us anymore. Just our phone company will. Yes. Okay. So that's – it's still – I mean when you think about it, would you rather not have T-Mobile, AT&T, Verizon, Sprint? Wouldn't you rather that have them spying on you than the NSA? Correct. Yeah, I know some about that seems weird. They'll probably develop into being part of your pr- plan. Like, yes. oh, go with this company. We'll, we'll just read your text messages. Yeah, you want the super advanced spy plan or the yep. less advanced spy plan? Yeah, they'll charge you more, and there'll be a upgrade fee, and you know how that works. Uh, the Baltimore riots. Yes. The final total. Total. Yes. Nine million dollars in damage. Nine billion or million? Million. Is that all? Preliminary estimates wow. is not final. I thought I was thinking billions. 284 businesses were damaged in the riots, totaling around 8.9 million. So round up. Interesting. Nine million, according to a spokesperson. Uh, these, of course, with the protest over Fro- uh, Freddie Gay's death. Yeah. Following yeah. the incident with Wow, the I really thought that was going to be a lot more money. Nine million. But it was over a short period of time. Yeah. Uh, Beijing, yes. China. Is banning barbecues as it tries to win the 2022 Olympic bid. They think it'll help with their overall uh, air, air quality. quality. Well, they're, I mean, imagine though a Chinese barbecue. Yeah, it's they're, probably they're, they're not crazy. limiting. You know the the big factories that are pumping out all kinds of pollution. They just don't want people cooking individually. They think that'll help. Maybe what they ought to do is ban fireworks. Could be. It seems like they do that a lot. Their grills are are fueled by coal. <laughs> a lot of coal. We're banning all coal burning. Fire grills. <laughs> oh, that's fun. You'd be surprised how well coal uh, seasons a good steak. Oh, I love coal Just, flavored smoke steak. It that's, mm. That coal, so good. Smoked with charcoal. Yeah. You can now order Domino's Pizza over Twitter. Yeah, really? Yes. They, they launched that because- uh, Tweet they, to eat. Tweet they, to eat. They said it's the, the height of convenience and they've got this down to seconds. You wow. send a tweet, they'll contact you back and- Bada boom, you bada bing, you're eating your pie. Pizza. So it's getting mm. that easy. And this story may be something you want to share with Sports Nation. Okay. An Englishman says a piece of rubber toy that was lost 40 years ago came out of his nose during a sneezing fit. <laughs> Steve Easton, 51, claims he was playing an internet game at home in his Camberley uh, home when he sneezed, prompting the emergence of an object from his nostril. Unsure what he had found, Easton called his mother, 77-year-old Pat Easton, who told him what the object was. It was the sucker end of a toy rubber dart. 
Oh, my heavens. That was stuck in his nose when he was a child. The mother took him to the hospital. They did x-rays and they searched and they said, no, you might be wrong. There's nothing up there. And then now the guy's 40, 40 years later, he sneezes and this thing comes flying out of his nose. Did it stick to the wall? I don't know, but he's, he, he did say at one point, he goes, I wonder if there's anything else up there. Don't ask. What else gets you – know, he said he doesn't breathe any differently. Really? It doesn't feel different. He's just all of a sudden a rubber sucker of the dart. end of a dart, the suction cup came flying out of his nose. Uh, honey, you've got something on your nose. What? <laughs> no, your other one, your other nostril. Oh, you mean this sucker dart head? And just for your, uh, this is part of our community service here today. Yes. It is chocolate chips day and pizza party day. Uh, so I would suggest a chocolate chip covered pizza. Combine the two and you've got utopia. Mmm. Happy chocolate chip pizza day. Sounds yummy. Man, I can't get over the dart thing in the guy's nose. He doesn't, he doesn't breathe any differently. You'd think that would cause ridiculous. some... ridiculous. How could you not believe? Some congestion at least, right? A sneezing fit and he brought up a dart. <laughs> Crazy. Those are the stories you get here on the Matt Townsend Show. Trying to help you out. Letting you know what you need to do globally and in your own nose. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, great topic coming up. Dr. Christine Batchel will be joining us. She is uh, going to be teaching us about memories. Think about your earliest childhood memory. We're going to figure out what that might be teaching you. Up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. A little B.B. King for you. May he rest in peace. Uh, died. And uh, again, oh, the, the soul, the blues. Mm. What a great, and by fact, by the way, perfect for today's uh, topic. We're talking and have on the phone Dr. Christine Bacho, and she is a professor at Lemoyne College in Syracuse, New York, also is a blogger for Psychology Today, and is doing what she can to help us understand our our memories and and nostalgia, um, and and how our memories impact us, and so we've asked her to join us today, Dr. Christine Bacho. Welcome back again to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. We're honored to have you. Love uh, love learning from you and your great research that you're doing. So talk to us about our memories. I mean, we we really don't remember. It seems like we don't remember much, or, or do some people remember just a ton? Well, if we talk about the earliest memories, it's true that there's something that's referred to as childhood amnesia, because we don't remember very much before the age of six. Hmm. Uh, there's a little bit of a sliding scale, however. Newer studies being done now show that young children, if you interview an eight-year-old, for instance, they remember uh, events that occurred quite early. Okay. But then as time goes on, our earliest memories 
uh, we date later than that. So if you ask an adult, they might not remember anything back before about six and a half. Now, what does it? What are the memories for? I mean, I, I guess it seems like we end up losing a lot of them just as we're aging. Um, but it also seems like memory would be important for for you know safety. Well, it is true that there are really two different types of memory that people are talking about. The the type that most people are interested in are what we call autobiographical. They're the memories. Really, they're the fabric of our lives. They're the things that we remember experiencing or events that we were somehow present for or mm. a part of. And so, in a way, your argument that we need memory just to survive, that's true. So from the time we're born, we're storing memories. And a lot of that information gets processed into a different type of memory called semantic, which holds all of our knowledge about mm. the world. So really, it's I guess it's a form of... of creating knowledge. And I guess, too, one of the things I read in your article, what your oldest memories reveal about you, um, it's about emotion, really. It seems like we were asking and talking about our our memories earlier, and it seems like any time one of us got stitches, it's a memory. We remember we break an arm. Uh, So is is it always that the memories are tied to, to emotion? Well, emotion is most definitely one of the major characteristics. And in fact, trying to look at what types of events people have the best memory for over their lifetime is a little more complicated in terms of research methodology than one would think. And that's because things often go together or correlate. But emotion tends to be one of the strongest predictors of what kind of event is going to be retained over a lifetime. So, for example, getting stitches, any kind of accidental injury is definitely one of the things that shows up if you collect examples of Mm. very early childhood memories. People even remember going to the hospital when they were younger than three years old, but they might not even remember why. They just remember the trip to the hospital. Isn't it interesting? And and I've, I've even noticed that if I have a picture... And what is this about? Is this just me making up data? If I have a picture of something that happened, it actually could jar a memory or get some of the emotion of those events. Right. It can do both. And that's one of the other issues in trying to research this. We don't necessarily presume that a memory is accurate. In fact, today we presume the opposite. Yeah. And memories are not stored the way photographs are stored or video. They're stored in a constructive way. We when you asked if you make it up, to some extent, we really do make up our memories. And that dynamic process turns out to be very valuable to us as human beings. So one of the reasons we don't store a lot from when we were nine months old or one year old is partly because the brain wasn't very good yet at Mm. doing that processing. And the other reason is because so much of what we were experiencing did not yet make sense to us. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, yeah, we didn't have context, I guess. We didn't have uh, the kind of understanding that we have as adults, and that turns out to make a really big difference, not only in which memories we store for a lifetime, but even how we interpret them or how we remember them. There's a whole other category of very early memories that people rarely talk about, which is, in my opinion, fragments. So when I've interviewed um, college students, for instance, they often report that they can remember 
the pattern on the wallpaper in their nursery hmm. or just sort of feelings or even smells. Uh, an old theory argued that that might be the real reason for deja vu experiences. Oh, yeah. So when you think that you've been somewhere before, it's because there are certain features of that environment. It could be an, an aroma. It could be a color that actually was present when you were a baby. Hmm. So you don't really have an explicit memory. You have an implicit memory. And that gets aroused if you have a very similar stimulus later in life. And that could be part of what goes into deja vu. Oh, that's interesting. That happened just the other day. It was raining on a Saturday. All, all these, all of us parents were watching our kids play flag football. And one of the moms said, oh, I love the smell of rain. And she goes, and, and, and tobacco smoke. Mm-hmm. And it has this, and, and it just, you could just see her light up. And I'm like, wow. I mean, okay. But, but what it, she, was having, she was having a memory, really. I guess, is that nostalgia? What is that? Well, it's nostalgia if someone feels an associated sense of longing or yearning okay. or wishing to return, uh, because nostalgia itself is kind of a bittersweet sentiment, although today you will find other researchers who are now starting to define it simply as sentimentality. Okay, yeah. Right. I don't, because I go by the historical definition of the term nostalgia, which is uh, a conflicting emotion. But you bring up a good example of tobacco smoke or the, the smell of coffee or whatever mm-hmm. it is. It can actually resurrect the feelings we had when we were, for example, around a person who smoked or in a particular kitchen. Maybe we had an aunt who loved to bake cookies, and so the smell of those cookies can really, in a way, remind us of the person we loved or the person yeah. we enjoyed being with. And does it take you back to the three-year-old mind of that smelled the cookies, or does it take you back, or does it take you to the adult mind reinventing the three-year-old mind? I think it can do both, and oh. I think that's really important because it reminds us to be really careful and wise about what we expose young children to. I think sometimes parents get a little complacent thinking, well, it doesn't really matter if we argue in front of Johnny or Susie because they won't remember this anyway Sure, yeah. if they're very young. And it might be true that they don't have those kinds of conscious memories later of specific times that the parents were in conflict or what have you, but they might retain the emotions of that experience. Mm. It's so true. And then... Um, yeah, because too, it could be they may not actually remember the fighting, but they might smell something that remind that does create that sense of tension you used to feel, which is why abuse. Like if somebody's been abused, I mean, sounds, smells, tastes, certain things could keep re- recreating abuse. Yes, I once dealt with a young person who had been abused, sadly, and uh, it turned out that while the abuser was uh, doing whatever they were doing at the time, they would turn the radio on and there were certain oldies Mm. songs that played. And then for this child, when he grew up, whenever he heard that genre of music, even though he wasn't consciously aware of why, he began to feel nervous or anxious or upset. And so you can retain the emotional component even when you forget the actual content. Yeah. 
Wow, it's it really is. It's a powerful area of study. I think, Christine, that's really why I wanted you back, because there's so much we don't know, and yet it makes up our day-to-day life. We're talking with Dr. Christine Bacho. Again, she's a professor at Lemoyne College in Syracuse, New York, and also the inventor of the Nostalgia Inventory Test. We're going to take a break, uh, come back, and continue this discussion. I want to find out what these earliest memories actually reveal about us. Um, which is part of this great article on Psychology Today that Dr. Bacho has written. We'll be back more on your memories and how they impact your life up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show. You upset me, baby. Yes, you upset me, baby. Yes, I'm telling you people, she's something fine. That you really ought to see. A tribute to B.B. King, who passed away. Uh, that was a cool time to live, by the way. Seems like always a good party until they tip over a can of burning kerosene. And then you get to name your guitar Lucille. Uh, great stuff, my friends. Um, we're talking about memories and our earliest memories and what they may be telling uh you about yourself what are your memories what are they doing for you and what do they do they are they real and even though they feel real are they made up we're learning some great stuff by dr christine bacho she is a professor at lemoyne college in syracuse new york and also uh the creator of the nostalgia inventory test and also a writer on psychology today a blogger there again dr christine bacho welcome back to the show thank you what So what do these memories tell us about us? Well, they're a little bit of a window into where you came from in terms of your development or your past. Uh, to some extent, for instance, there are even cultural differences. So it tells you a little bit about when you were young, whether your uh, conditions, your culture, or even your family situation uh, put a priority upon, for example, social interactions hmm. or not. So in one study, they found that whereas uh, individuals who were from China were more apt to have early memories of social events, some children from Canada tended to have more individualistic early memories. Oh, yeah. So, so, so a memory more about just their own life, just them playing in, the, you know, in their house versus uh, socializing and hanging out with people. Right, and I've noticed the exact same difference when you uh, now today interview people who were only children versus uh, someone who had siblings, because a lot of the early memories in a household where there were siblings around, the memories very often revolve around play with the siblings Mm. or a fight. They can be either direction. They could either be uh, positive or negative. Whereas someone who grew up as an only child might have more solitary kinds of memories, such as, you know, playing a certain game or with certain toys or, or that sort of thing. Are there, are there such things as shared memories where, like, I've seen situations with my family where we sit around and talk and I, they actually, sitting and talking with my sisters who were present in the same moment, they filled in some of the blanks that I didn't necessarily know. And, and then that actually became part of my thought process. Absolutely. When we talked earlier about how we actually construct our memories, that's one of the ways we do it. We add into them as we go through life, which is one of the reasons we can't really verify 
the accuracy of an early memory. In my opinion, we don't really need to because what really matters is how you perceive it huh. now. Yeah, yeah. And so sharing memories, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that's one of the new avenues for research. We really need to look carefully at what effect it has when people uh, do storytelling and reminisce together in either a family situation or even among friends, peers, or what have you. I think that can be very beneficial for yeah. for a number of reasons. Well, uh, and I can't remember his name. Um, I think it was Patrick Demare. Um, he was a uh, a therapist, I think, during World War Two or one, probably, and or maybe two. And he they they tried to do therapy on these soldiers that were in the middle of the war, but the the, the soldiers they didn't have time to go meet with them one on one, so they'd bring them into these groups, and they would they'd have these conversations as a group. And as a group, they'd all go through and talk about their memories of what was going on. So, I mean, it might be an interesting little study. And then he became a big you know, leader in dialogue theory and, and other things. That's uh, exactly right. And today, with a lot of the veterans experiencing PTSD, mm. uh, the exact analogy holds that sharing their memories together uh, is extremely helpful. And that brings up another point that some new studies are showing that if you go way back to really early memories, there even appears to be, in some cases, a gender difference. And most likely the reason for that is that girls early in life are more likely to verbalize their emotions and share their experiences compared with little boys. Huh. And by doing that, little girls are doing two things. They're, in a sense, saving those memories. And uh, part of that gets into how the brain stores information in different coding formats. Like it formalizes it because you're now verbalizing it. Right. It gives it a a verbal quality that puts it into a narrative. Hmm. That's why I said there are other memories that are not narrative memories. They're more fragmented, just almost stimulus memories. But narrative memories are the ones that probably impact on us the most in our adult life. And so one of the um, lines of research that I would like to see develop is to find out how beneficial it might be uh, paying more attention to getting boys involved in such a verbalization and sharing of their memories. Oh, interesting. And I guess, too, though, you'd want, or maybe you don't, maybe is, is there just a healthier method to share the memory and a less healthy method to share it? I mean, I guess you don't want to skew the memory, but it seems like in many regards, therapy is about recreating the narrative. Yes, it is. I think the key to a lot of this is meaningfulness and coherence. And so the memories that are retained uh, can be so different from one person to another that it has been puzzling. Very often, a college student will say, well, I don't remember why I remembered this particular thing. And then they go on to describe something that actually sounds pretty mundane. Mm. Like, why would anyone yeah. remember that eating that sandwich on that day? Right. And so the um, argument could be made that we don't yet know exactly why certain memories become permanent, but one of the key features other than emotion is meaningfulness. And that probably helps us understand why people don't remember anything from mm. when they were 10 months old, because it didn't have much meaning to them yet. So when you fast forward into thinking about therapeutic benefits of uh, memories and discussing memories, it comes down to what kind of meaning right. do these events have for you? Because truly, we today, any adult, is 
the totality of all of our autobiographical experiences. Sure. So one of the things early memories reveal to an individual about themselves is a little bit of what was important enough to them to retain. Mm. Because importance shifts over your lifetime. Something that happened that was so ordinary to a three-year-old, to the three-year-old might have seemed very important. Yeah. And it reminds us that when we're dealing with young children, we have to be aware of that, that something to us that is not important at all might be very important to them. Like losing a balloon as it floats away at the park. (laughs) And one of the themes I've noticed really is separation. So whenever there's a time period when a young child is separated from someone they care about deeply, it could be a parent or a sibling or whomever, that can really constitute a bigger impact on that child. Oh, sure. Wow. That we're quite aware of. Yeah, and that turns into this attachment stuff and... I mean, there's a lot of interesting – it seems like we're making some incredible headway, I guess no pun intended, into the, into the power of memory. Um, Christine, we've got about uh, 30 seconds. Can you what – what should we be doing, you know, just as, just as somebody that studied it, what could we do that might be a healthy way to review our memories and maybe even, you know, improve I – mean, not improve them, but, but create a better narrative? Well, the one important lesson is we don't get to choose what has happened to us in the past. We didn't get to choose our childhood, for instance. We didn't get to choose our parents or how we were treated or if we were bullied in school. But now that we're adults, we do have the choice to interpret what we've learned from those experiences and how we want to move forward. So even a healthy, constructive way is to look at a timeline and remind ourselves that we are no longer vulnerable the way a three-year-old was, Right. that we now have an empowerment because we have control over things that we didn't before. And I think that's one healthy way of looking at it, is looking at the timeline of our life. Oh, absolutely. That, that is great. And then kind of go through it and just start thinking through it and then rewrite a narrative in our mind. Uh, Dr. Christine Bacho, we so appreciate you and the great work you're doing there at Lemoyne College. Um, again, everybody, go uh, go read the article on Psychology Today by Christine Bacho, What Your Oldest Memories Reveal About You. Also find out more about her and her work in nostalgia. She's got some great insight there as well. We're going to take a break, my friends. Uh, come back and be talking to our good friends down in Studio B from BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show a little bit later. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. I can hardly wait to hear these guys pick up the high notes here that Michael's going to hit. Folks, this is the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to head down to Studio B with our great friends from BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Happy Friday on that high note. I knew you. Hey, thanks, Jerem. I knew you you couldn't resist. Hey, hey guys, uh, what do you you think? Who are you going to go with on the fight today? The big fight. I mean, there was a fight a couple weeks ago. Blah, blah, blah. Mike Tyson. Are you, are you going with Holyfield going, or Romney? Mike Tyson's coming out of the uh, crowd, and he's going to take down Holyfield oh, like, <sighs> once like and for all. WWE style? Mm. Oh, mm. I bet a chair wow. will be involved. 
He'll climb up on the ropes with a chair and then just hammer time. Maybe he'll bite his ear again. And then and then empty <laughs> hammer comes out. Is that what you're saying? Wouldn't that be funny if Mitt Romney bit Holyfield's ear? Oh my goodness! For real? Like I'm going to get that ear. <laughs> charity. It's for charity. It's for charity. It's for the children. <laughs> Take that. What a bizarre actuality in the history of boxing. Isn't that weird? But you know what? He's 68. Mitt's 68. I think he can take him. I think Holyfield's underestimating the man. The myth. The legend. (laughs) They they always underestimated Mitt. But I think, I mean, sure, politics, you know, that was hard. But wait wait till he unleashes the Kraken. What is the Kraken? Oh, from that's Pirates his, of the Caribbean. That's a special oh, punch. you're going with the owl, not, okay. From the, lore. The special punch. Do you remember how the Kraken would go up and grab the ship and then just start chewing on it? Just <laughs> rip it in half. <laughs> yeah, you're talking what... about specific punches, Matt. Do you remember Mike Tyson's punch out? Yes, that was my favorite Nintendo. game in history. Yeah. Great video What game. was that, Joe? Flacco Joe. <laughs> I so related to Flacco Joe and that. Glass, Glass Joe. Oh, Glass Joe. I was like, Joe, Joe Flacco? Joe Flacco was a Super Bowl winning no, no, but wasn't the there, no, but Flacco in Spanish means skinny, right? Uh, I thought there was this. Wasn't there a guy named Flacco something in there? Was, skinny. There was, was Glass Joe. Glass Joe because like, he had a glass jaw. Don Don Domingo, the dude from Italy that came out with a rose in his mouth. <laughs> and danced yeah, glass, on his toes, I think. Yeah, Glass Joe. Yeah, those were the oh, – that was a great game. It is a fantastic video game. The, I think the greatest of all time. Once again, I have to buy an old school Nintendo, Jerem, so that we can get it. Do into it already. Office. Just Bald just, Bull. That guy. Was, uh, I, hated I remember Bald him. Bull. Yeah. You Bear punch Hugger. Just the right yeah. time. Disco Bear. Kid. Don Flamenco. Don Flamenco. I, are you doing this by memory, or, or did you look these up? He googled it. Donkey hey. Kong was somehow in there. Hey, have you guys? Um, in the in the Wii yeah. in the Wii version. Do, yeah. Donkey. Oh, Donkey Kong. In the Wii version. Okay. Like the original yeah. version. I think there are like nine or ten. Characters. Little Mac. Yeah, those are oh. good memories. But you have to get you have to be really good to see all of those people. I was kind of glass Joe. Yeah, I had yeah. a glass jaw <laughs> until the accident, and then they gave me a steel jaw. Um, hey man, here's the deal. Have you guys ever, um, as a child, speaking of childhood games, have you ever put something up your nose as a child, and then they had to like surgically remove it? I never had that issue, luckily. Nope. That's one of my fears is that my kid does that. Well, guess what? I got a story. Oh, boy. A man sneezes out the rubber end of a childhood toy dart four decades later. Wow. What? An English man says a piece of rubber toy that was lost 40 years ago, up his nose, by the way, came out of his nose during a sneezing fit. Steve Easton, 51, claims that he was playing an Internet game at home in England when a sneezing fit started and all of a sudden out of his nostril comes that little rubbery you know, suction cup thing that's at the end Yuck. of a dart. That is one amazing and two utterly disgusting. Mm-hmm. Hey, Dad, you got something? You got something on your nose, Dad? Oh, oh well, no, no, the other side, Dad. Oh, you mean this dart thing? Wow, my so, sister threw a dart into my leg when I was like a real dart, tw- thirteen. Yeah, metal dart. So yeah. you've been darted. Yeah. Like a gazelle. So I was at my dad's house in Washington, <laughs> not my mom's in Utah. So I we didn't know if, how recently had I had had a tetanus shot, so I had to go get a tetanus shot. <laughs> did, so she give, did she I give did she give you a head it. start? Did she say, Okay, you got three seconds, Jerem, go. Well, I said, Whitney, <laughs> she... don't throw the darts right now. I'm gonna go out and get <laughs> some of them. And then I turn and look and this metal dart's one inch into my left thigh. <laughs> Ow. And then I just <laughs> pulled it out right then and there. I was just like, ah, 
Take it. I can take it. I can take a dart. What's funny about that story is Jerem's sister's name is Whitney. His wife's name is also Whitney. So the visual in your head is your wife, Whitney, throwing a dart into your leg. Nope, that's weird. (laughs) That's totally weird. I have two sisters. They're named Whitney and Lindsay. And then I married a girl named Whitney. I had a sister. named Lindsay. I have three sisters, and one of my sisters had put the lighter in in the car back in the day when you have a cute little lighter. And she pulled out the lighter, and it was just burning red hot. And she's like, touch it. Oh my gosh. Why? Why are why Touch are ass. humans just so dumb sometimes? Touch yeah. I why was, are we so dumb? I was very young, but we just talked about memories, and now I know why I remember that one because it was emotional and painful. Oh my goodness! You know how we're talking about villains on uh, Mike Tyson's Punch Out? Yes. Okay. Well, a villain was thrust back into the national spotlight last night, at least in the minds and hearts of BYU sports fans. Who? Matthew Della Vadova. Della Vadova. Okay, he scored more points than his teammate LeBron James ah. in the Game 6 clinching yes. win for the Cavaliers to put them back in the Eastern Conference Finals. But explain. So, I was thinking, man, the Della Vadagger, he's the guy that hit the <laughs> 35-footer to beat BYU in 2012-13 season. It's a moment that BYU fans will never, ever forget because you go from the high of highs to the low of lows. You're up by one, and then you you lose the game on a buzzer. Mm. Okay? And Del he was so dagger. good, and he just wore – he had this mouthpiece, and I just oh, – I just like – I want to punch that mouthpiece out mm. of his face. Mm. He's okay? got a Dell of a dagger, though. you got to give him that. He unleashed that. Well, last night, reporters asked him, so were the boos and the jeers of the United Center in Chicago getting to you? And he's like, well – you know, I've I've played at Gonzaga and at BYU, and the boos are much louder there. <gasps> Did he say that? Yeah. Yeah. Kudos. That's cool. Okay. So I'm like, man, when you look at that, that that's an amazing comment. One, it's awesome because BYU fans are loud and yeah. obnoxious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But then I'm like, is he the number one villain for BYU fans, like, all time? Oh, who are the villains? Who's the number one villain? So we're discussing the villains, the well, top villains in BYU sports Well, history. because it is a religious church, or a religious school, I would say Satan would be number one. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're basically saying, who's number two? <laughs> okay, okay. Second to him. Okay. Yes, Lucifer doesn't get on the athletic court with us. <laughs> I know. I always, or I always does he? <laughs> Maybe he is. Well, we play Utah once a year. That's so there. great. <laughs> oh, well, so, but the villain, could it be a school or does it have to be an individual? And, and, Mostly yes. individual, but it's assumed that anyone associated with Utah is. Utah, yeah. But who's the villain? Huh. The number one villain. That's a good question. For BYU sports fans. Wasn't there. Uh, was that who was SMU's coach? Uh, which one, Ron oh. Meyer? Oh no, yeah. Well, who was the one? Who was the who was the coach that made fun of uh, BYU? Barry uh, Barry Switzer. Switzer. Oklahoma. Oh, he's on the list. Is man. he on the list? He's on the list. Yes. Bo Diddley Tech. Who have they played? Bo, Bo Diddley Tech. Oh, don't mess yeah, with he, us. He teamed up with Bryant Gumble for that. <laughs> yes, Bryant Gumble's on the list then. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. This is going to be fun. See, there's generation gaps of who were villains in the uh-huh. 70s, 80s, right? Yeah. And yeah. then there's kind of the 40-somethings that have the 90s, 2000s. And then there's the Twitter generation that, like, Matthew Delavadova is, like, the one. If you yeah. haven't seen that that footage, Matt, you need to go look at that. I'm going to go look okay? it up right now. The Dagger, Matthew Delavadova against BYU. It's all over. It's an amazing last 10 seconds of basketball. Dagger. Yes. Um, okay, I'm going to go look that up right now. Oh, boy. Yeah. You, guys, you will understand why he is so hated. Hate's a strong word. Well, he is so despised. Well, he's seen as second only to the son of darkness. <laughs> <laughs> right? I always think of the cat in Cinderella. Yes. 
Yeah, that was a bad cat. Uh-huh. Bad cat. Uh, anything else going on in the show? That's going to be a great thing. You guys well, that's, that's are going to ride that all day. For sure. okay, Michael for sure. Lisa will join us, former mm-hmm. linebacker. Yep. Uh, Sean Olmstead, they just got these new awesome rings for the women's volleyball team for winning the conference title and going to the national championship. Yeah, that's arena. huge. Come they on. They copied the 2012 Alabama football championship rings. It's so They look pretty. really nice. Ugh. Maybe they'll give you guys one. I mean, just for being supportive. Yeah, they're bringing in one that will split. That would be the ultimate, <laughs> Share ultimate piece to this and, set. And then I'll say, no, Spencer, you can have it. Time and then share. King Solomon will say, no, no. you can have it. Destroy here, the ring. You, yeah. Yes. Cut the ring in half. No. See? You have it. Oh, you guys always teach a really great spiritual lesson. Well, we Typically have been from the Old Testament. <laughs> about how to avoid the, <laughs> yes, Prince, of Satan, the Prince of Darkness. King, King Solomon. <laughs> We've got it all covered. And all enemies to BYU. Yes. Yeah, good job, guys. Have a great show. We will do that. Knock them dead. Check it out. The Del of a Dagger. Hey, make sure you get Little to the meeting. Get to the, B, get to the BYU Broadcasting meeting. Oh, oh, we'll see you the there. Staff meeting? Uh, yeah, I'll see you there. We'll be late. But I'll we'll save be. you a seat. Bye, guys. Oh, that's funny. Just had to throw that in there because I want to make sure everybody gets to the meeting. I'm just hoping they didn't forget. Actually, they're going to be doing a show, I think, in the middle of the meeting. So here's the deal. Great show today. It's a great way to wrap it up on Friday. Uh, I always like to end with a hero, of course, right? So here's one that you just got to love. Michael Hammonds of Athens, Georgia, war veteran, hero of the day. Uh, now, what he did very simply was this. Uh, you know, leaving a child locked inside a hot vehicle for an extended period of time is considered wrong. We all know that. But what if it was a dog locked inside the car? Is that as big of a deal? One man, Michael Hammonds, was not about to let the dog take the heat, even if it would result in some serious consequences. Hammonds saw that a small dog was trapped inside a Mustang on a hot, sunny day in Athens, Georgia. And bystanders contacted police and were waiting for them to arrive. But Hammonds insisted that the dog could not wait much longer. He said, I personally felt the heat in the car. I saw the dog panting. This was a dog in distress. And so what Hammonds did, he basically smashed the window of the vehicle, pulled the dog free, fed it some water. And then when the owner came out and saw the mess, she was infuriated. She immediately called for Hammonds' arrest. Georgia law states that a person can break a window to save a child or adult in distress, but not an animal. Cops were reluctant to arrest him, but uh, had no choice to arrest Hammonds on the scene, and he may face charges, uh, but he says he has no regrets. So, you know, whether, you know, we should go breaking windows to free dogs, but if a dog's in distress, you got to act, right? You got or any animal, really. What I like about it, why I'm making him our hero, is he just did what he thought was right. And he was willing to pay the consequences. And in, in fact, in life, folks, a lot of us are, are much too fearful that we're not always doing what's right. So a little challenge. Let's all be a little bit more like Michael Hammond. Hammonds doesn't mean we have to go break windows, but let's do act on what our heart tells us. That's the show, my friends. Remember, we, we can't do the show without you. So you can find us on podcasts. Look us up on iTunes, on TuneIn. Go to BYURadio.org. You know, we're here every Monday through Friday and even Saturday. We play a repeat show. Thanks for being with us, folks. Until uh, next week, until Monday, take care and uh, do what's in your heart. Make sure you uh, don't be afraid. We'll talk to you Monday.